Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cinematic Schematic, the official podcast of thecinematropolis.com, your home to thoughtful conversations on film. I'm your host, Caleb Masters, and today we're being swept into another fantasy, one so powerful and imaginative that it brought Japan's very own Walt Disney out of retirement for at least the fourth time. That's right. Today, we're reviewing Hayao Miyazaki's The Boy and the Heron. We're going to start with an icebreaker question to learn a little bit about our panel's anime preferences before jumping into a spoiler-free review of the film, where we'll also provide a verdict, and then we'll conclude the show by going into an in-depth spoiler discussion. Joining me today, as always, he is my faithful co-host, an award-winning Oklahoma filmmaker and anime noob, Laron Chapman. Laron, welcome to the show. <laughs> uh, thank you for having me, yes. <laughs> also joining us, he does watch a lot of anime or has watched a lot of anime. He does talk about it a lot on his podcast, the Toon Students podcast, and he does draw some really cool stuff or design some really cool stuff on artists. I'm very excited to be joined by Harold Story. Harold, welcome back to the show, sir. Hey, how's it going? Glad to be back. Also, I'm so thrilled for our last final guest. This is her first time appearing on the show. She's the SoonerCon Director of Marketing, Amber Hannigan. Amber, welcome to the show. Hi, uh, I'm happy to be here. I think he's just a a weeb to be. (laughs) (laughs) To weeb or not to weeb? Not to weeb. We're going to find out in this conversation because uh, I did see, Laron, that you watched several Ghibli movies uh, via your your letterbox account. He's doing the work. Look, (laughs) listeners, I just have to say, I want to make this disclaimer now because, you know, as you know, I consume media, in particular film, you know, but... Um, anime has always been just a blind spot for me. Not something that I've had a lack of interest in, but just something I just simply haven't haven't watched, you know, a whole lot of, you know, cause outside of kind of the the more known things. And I will say that I have done more research for this one podcast than I have ever done. <laughs> so <laughs> honored. Um, but it was a very rewarding experience and and my my husband and spouse like definitely appreciate it. Um going on that journey with me so oh that, that i love to hear it because i was going to say it was ambiguous because he logged a bunch of movies on letterbox but did not put any reviews next to any of them so i was like ah <laughs> i saw he watched them but i don't know what he thinks so, <laughs> i'm very excited to talk a little bit more about all things miyazaki and studio ghibli but before we get into today's conversation i wanted to note that if you're listening to the show and you enjoy the conversation please support us by subscribing and leaving us a rating and a review on your preferred podcast app Listen, nothing would spirit me away more than seeing five-star reviews come in on Apple Podcasts or Spotify listeners. Really, we need to boost that average score, but also it helps us get discovered by more listeners just like you. Okay, so I've got a couple of icebreaker questions today, but before we do, we're talking about The the Boy in the Heron, and it's a Studio Ghibli film from the legendary director Hayao Miyazaki. Uh, there's a lot of weight that comes anytime you drop either of those. Uh, you know, any Studio Ghibli film is sort of an event. They don't exactly put out tons of them uh, these days. And when you see Hayao Miyazaki, the guy who built the studio, who hasn't directed a movie in 10 years, names attached, it's a pretty big deal. And on that note, I just wanted to share uh, some thoughts from none other than Guillermo del Toro when he introduced The Boy and the Heron at the Toronto Film Festival earlier this year in September. And this was the film's first screening outside of Japan. And he introduced it by saying, We are living in a time when Mozart is composing symphonies. Van Gogh is painting paintings because Miyazaki-san is a master of the stature. 
He has made his films as full of problems and questions as he is. These are not easy films, but they are films that portray him so intimately that you feel that you are having a conversation with him. They are paradoxical because he understands that beauty cannot exist without horror and that delicacy cannot exist without brutality. And he makes elegance of these things and shows life on the screen in a beautiful way. I just want to preface this. Okay, we talked about Killers of the Flower Moon earlier this year, and you know we, we have a Scorsese in his 80s who's delivering bangers. This is like of that caliber, but imagine Scorsese hasn't made a film in 10 years. Mm-hmm. This guy is in the upper echelon with your Scorsese's, your Spielberg's, for the cinephiles out there. Um, some would argue he's even better. He's I made the comparison to Walt Disney. Uh, he's it's sort of the pitch that I think a lot of people get about Studio Ghibli is this is the closest, this is Japan's Walt Disney and animator. So... We're going to talk about whether the film is any good or not, but I wanted to preface that this is this movie coming out at all is sort of a big deal, especially when the guy's last film, The Wind Rises, which came out in 2013, definitely felt like a swan song film. Mm-hmm. The fact that we get another one is sort of incredible. Whether or not the film's good or not, we'll find out in this yeah. discussion. With that said, related to Studio Ghibli, let's break the ice by asking the question, what is your favorite Studio Ghibli film and why? And I'm not going to limit it to just Miyazaki because maybe you prefer some of the other stories uh, that come out of Studio Ghibli. Uh, but, you know, obviously Miyazaki being the the figurehead over there, um, that includes his films as well. So I'm going to start with you, Harold Story. Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. Um, I think my favorite one, you know, I've seen uh, many of them over time just growing up. But the first one I ever saw was uh, Princess Mononoke. And I think that has just always remained my favorite one. Um, I love that story. I love that um, man versus nature kind of take on it. Um, I love uh, the animation. I love the storyline. It's just like a very good um, start to finish story. And it's like that classic uh, main female protagonist thing that uh, Miyazaki does in all of his movies. So it's like the, you know, deftly in the pocket of Miyazaki um, and his, uh, you know, his kind of his style. I will say... um. You mentioned you could talk about ones that aren't necessarily Miyazaki. So outside of Miyazaki is probably Takahata's Grave of the Fireflies. Yeah. Um, which, rest in peace, he passed a few years ago now. But um, as a, that's a heartbreaking movie for sure. And uh, just a wonderful piece of art, I think. Yeah, so Grave of the Fireflies, listeners, for those of you who aren't familiar, is, is essentially a really quiet, somber character drama about Japan after the bombs have been dropped. And it's a heartbreaker. But we we talked about Oppenheimer earlier this year, and that was actually one of the recommendations I brought up, especially when people were saying, hey, we didn't get enough Japanese perspective. And That's a great you suggestion. Know, you know, it's funny you also mentioned Mononoke. That I was trying to figure out how many times he's a retired, reti- air quotes, retired. <laughs> I think, if I read correctly, the first time he air quotes retired was in 1997 after they released <laughs> Princess Mononoke. So, you know. He's the share of, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> of this universe. Like, I promise, guys, I'm done. I'm done. Right, Christmas right. album out this year. This year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Well, Harold, thank you so much for sharing. Course, uh, both yeah. those are excellent recommendations. Amber Hannigan, how about you? What would you recommend? So um, this one's always tough for me because it's kind of there's a top two and they're for different reasons, but uh, actually different but very similar reasons. So Spirited Away and Kiki's Delivery Service, and they're both um, – I saw them both at times in my life, like around, I saw Kiki Delivery Service, probably the first movie that I saw or or really close to Princess Mononoke. And it was, I was a young girl too at that time. And it's a very like 
coming of age. Like I relate to Kiki so much. Um, I actually named my black cat Gigi. <laughs> so <laughs> I have a lot of like Kiki stuff around my house. Um, but Spirited Away was also another one that like is 2001. I was like probably a freshman in high school and it was, you know, came out in the theater. It was like one of the first Miyazaki films or like Ghibli films probably that was in a theater like more globally. And I believe that was the one that won the Oscar. And um, it was also just, you know, you could just re- relate to her and like her challenges and stuff like that. And it was just such a fully realized world. Uh, and there was so much to see. It it kind of has similarities actually to to this film um, that we're reviewing today and this all the magical kind of creatures and that and it's like this building that like they're all kind of in and it's like when you go into the building, it's a different sort of world. So uh, they're just my top two there. Laurent Chapman, again, I know you, you having just watched several of these for the first time, what is right. your favorite? And, and, and for the purposes of this podcast, I wanted to really just dive into Miyazaki's work since this is allegedly the last, the last, last, last uh, <laughs> film. Um, and so um, in preparation for this, I watched Kiki's Delivery Service, Princess Mononoke, Hal's Moving Castle, um, Spirited Away, and The Wind Rises. Um and um, I made a point not to watch them in the order of the years they came out so that I wouldn't color my because I feel like, you know, you see one and let's say I just loved one. I didn't want to keep comparing them to each other. So I wanted to just kind of see them outside of that. By the way, that's a great if you were going to pick four options uh, to kind of like wrap your head around Miyazaki sure. as a director. Those yeah. are perfect. Yeah. 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 Um, I think I came around to the two that I was I responded to the most. Uh, was was Spirited Away and and Princess Mononoke. I can't really decide which one I like more because they're both really strong visually and thematically, and um, and and they're strong in the same ways to me. So I just I, I feel like I can't choose. I mean, I'll just give them a tie. You know, of of those five, there's obviously a lot more to see, but um, of those, I think those are the two I responded to the most, and I think that um. Uh, I, I loved going and I actually watched Kiki's Delivery Service last. Um, and I actually enjoyed doing that because I was able to kind of see the, um, you know what I mean, the path forward that that a lot of his work kind of it kind of informed a lot of things that were to come. You know, and you can see those little glimmers of how much bigger and grander the worlds he creates, you know, moving forward were going to be. And so I kind of like the simplicity of 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 that one compared to the others because it there's still a lot happening under the surface even though there's just a story that's pretty straightforward you know um and as as, as she mentioned it's very very relatable um but yeah um i am a fan but i have i have honestly seen a couple of these back in college whenever i was studying film um but it was from a more academic standpoint and it was so long ago that it, it, it felt like seeing it again for the first time so this time doing a deep dive, it felt like, yeah, like I, I think I now understand, you know, his work. And he's one of those filmmakers, too, that like you, you you're born into the world and you know about him, even if you never see any of the work. So I'm not unfamiliar with his reverence. I just hadn't deep dived into it yet. And would you say uh, again, I feel like he's also one of those directors. If you don't see him, the hype almost feels like impossible sure. yeah, to reach. What, like, sure. like, like, like did people, it, people talk people about like, him. Oh, in this, really? People talk about him in the same way right. that they do any of the great Spielberg, like uh, Scorsese, any of the auteurs, like, like literally um, in that same breath. So I definitely was aware. 
of Upham. But did it let, like in terms of did the experience of watching his films? Do you, does it does it does yeah. it click? Do you think it lives up to the reputation? I do, I do. Um, I and I and I think um, I, I need to explore. There's an argument, I guess, between anime being a um, a genre or a style. And I think the same is of like film noir, that people do that as well. It's like they, they describe it as both things. And the answer to the questions is yes, it's both of those things. You know, it can be both of those things. But I, I like um, in some ways the it, sometimes it feels very esoteric. You know, like, like if you're not super familiar with the with like Japanese history and stuff like that, then it might it might be you know, uh, leave you somewhat at a distance if you're not as, as lived in with that material. But, um, but you can see the rumination of how much, um, growing up in the forties, um, you know, has really colored a lot of his work and, um, something that he's just constantly going back to, um, in a very self-reflexive way. And, um, so I found that very moving and very fascinating, um, seeing that, 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 that kind of through line through a lot of his work. So you just said something earlier uh, about uh, how like seeing this growth and how uh, his worlds expand and things like that. So the other night we recently rewatched Nausicaa, which was pre studio Ghibli um, 1984, I think it was. And I hadn't watched that since college. And um, it's really surprising that the beats in Nausicaa are almost like beat for beat um, in princess Mononoke. Like, mm. it's, like, almost the same, like, message and film he's making. It's, like, he's improved it. Like, I feel like Princess Mononoke is where he's, like, this is where I've really solidified that, like, that hero or that character and um and this, like, environmental story that I wanted to tell. Yeah, spot on. You took the words right out of my mouth because I was going <laughs> to say Mononoke is, is my favorite. But I, I really have a huge soft spot for uh, Nausicaa of the Wind Valley. And, again, it is... His pre, it's the last movie he made before starting Studio Ghibli. And it's instead of it being set in a luscious forest, it's set like in a post apocalyptic sci fi future. Yeah. And especially if you're thinking about this guy growing up in Japan right after the bombs dropped, it, yeah. it's very in you, the forefront. You can't of the imagine movie. that to have lived through that and have that not color your entire world lens. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so I, it, it, it makes sense why there that's that's almost always under the surface if not if not the entire backdrop for some of his stories so mm-hmm. yeah but i i, I would just echo what amber said i think if you enjoy miyazaki i would absolutely go back and watch nausicaa of the wind valley worth your time and i do want to give a shout out not my favorite but i do think the wind rises is a really i mean we got this movie the boy in the heron which we'll talk about but i will say in terms of a movie that was theoretically supposed to be the end of his career. It felt like the perfect period at the end of a prolific career. Mm-hmm. Cause he's sort of like reminis- reflecting on here's what I did. I put it out there. And oftentimes he, he's also been very vocal about how he's not super crazy about how, how anime has been turned into something different than, yeah. than what he would have wanted. And you kind of see that in the movie a little bit. He's like, this guy designs airplanes. He loves designing airplanes, but eventually the, Japanese government comes in and decides to use those to, for war. And uh, anyway, it's just a really, if you really watch that movie with kind of the lens of, okay, Miyazaki's sort of kind of working out, what do I say? How do I look back on what I've done? I felt like that was a really compelling way to end the film. That one reminded the, me a lot of the conflict in Oppenheimer, you know, yeah. just the creating something so magnificent and, you know, but then at the same time knowing that it'll ultimately be used for destruction and not knowing how to reconcile, um, 
the passion for the craftsmanship of, of making something so, you know, uniquely profound, but to have it actually cause harm is, is kind of a hard thing to hold in your, you know, in your mind. And I thought that I saw a parallel there. I'm glad I saw Oppenheimer in these at the same year. <laughs> so <laughs> I, it's a great, it was another one I recommended in our, yeah. or, or someone recommended in the alt media recommendations of our opera. Yeah. And I think that if you, Watch Oppenheimer. I think you absolutely should watch Wind Rises and also um, Grave of Fireflies mm. for sure. It's Miyazaki's thing, right? It's like people basically ruin everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. People, people basically people ruin everything, but also there's still he also okay. So he's like, like a deep, hope. Yes. Uh, well, yeah. we were just talking about this yesterday, right? He's a he's a, a hopeful he's, pessimist. He's a yeah. We we were talking about this after the film. Harold and I saw it together, and we were we were saying, you know, he is a deeply. Uh, he he does not think very highly of humans, uh, yeah. but at the same time, he loves time, animals. Though he loves nature, he <laughs> oh, loves yeah. the world and nature. Yeah. But he loves planes. But also, he still yeah, he loves planes. <laughs> he does still have uh, hope and a hint of optimism. You know, you know. I just finished Princess Mononoke, and like the last line of that movie is "Go and live." You know, and I, which is another theme I think carries out throughout most of his films. Yeah. This idea of like yeah. this thing just happened. Live your life. Yeah. Uh, okay. With that said, we need to ask another really important question because especially if we have people who are listening who watch a lot of anime, there's always one thing, Harold, and I know you're familiar in your podcast talking about this as well. There's one thing that comes up. Do you watch your anime subtitled or dubbed? And Amber, I'm going to start with you on this one. Uh, subtitled every time. I just, I love the the voice acting in from Japan, um, which I think talking about Ghibli is a different kind of level. I think we're just talking about series. I watch a, a ton of anime just in general and um, prefer the Japanese. It's just, I don't know the way they emote um, it. They, I just feel like they take voice acting very seriously. And this is me saying, this is my, my husband is <laughs> in voiceover and, <laughs> you know, but he, he, he actually prefers watching the Japanese as well. It's just something about the direction. Um, the other thing about that's a little like unfair to the dubs out here is they, um, in Japan, they work at it like what you would like a Disney movie would where like they get the whole scripts for the series ahead of time. They get to um, basically kind of understand the characters fully like from beginning to end while out here it's simulcast. So they like basically get it one episode at a time. And I've heard like voice actors say like dub voice actors say, had I known my character was going to be this way, this down, I might have emoted or or acted differently. Um you know, and I think that's a little unfair to them. And I think that there's a lot of amazing dub uh, voice actors, but it's just my preference to listen to the Japanese. And I'm trying to take Japanese. It's extremely hard language. <laughs> 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 I'd like to go to Japan someday. Well, because isn't it more tones? It's more like sounds than like with us. We have like, I don't know. It's like it's like the little nuance of like the way you say like if you have an inflection it changes the whole dynamic of the word like it means something it, it is it tonal yeah it's not as tonal as like chinese okay um but it yeah like like there's like aka aka <laughs> it's like mm -hmm. one's like red and one's like apple <laughs> and like and i can't yeah. even hear it it's not half the time and sometimes how long you say like uh so aka versus aka Mm -hmm. things like that are a little different I took threes in high school very very <laughs> rusty i'm a very i'm actually ashamed that i didn't keep it up because i really loved i really loved the experience of sure. taking it in high school and feel sure. privileged uh to have done that there's a lot of words that like there's the same word that and sometimes like that inflection doesn't even matter like it could be like the same inflection like the one that's like 
paper and God and hair. Yeah, yeah. Like, Tommy, like right? two of those yeah. are the same inflection. So you just have to, a lot of it's context. Like 90, I feel like 90% of Japanese is like context. And because the verb is at the end of the sentence, you have to mm-hmm. listen to like the whole sentence. So you, there's a lot of listening you have to do in Japanese. Mm-hmm. Like, and I feel like in English, like we already know what someone's going to say because we start like right away with what it's going to be. And in Japanese, you kind of have to like, wait till you get the full context Mm -hmm. or just know the context of the situation of the conversation. Mm-hmm. Which explains that we have so many formula films because we, <laughs> you know, in, in America, it's <laughs> yeah. like everything is very like you know telegraphed to a certain degree, yeah. you know. Oh yeah, yeah. They think in America that we overexplain movies. Yeah, I'm sure, yeah, we, and yeah, I, yeah. I believe it. Uh, yeah, uh, as we we can see in, in, in a lot of Miyazaki's <laughs> films as well. Yeah, uh, I think that's a good point though, Amber. I'm glad uh, you acknowledged that there are some key differences there because having been a person who is kind of, uh, I've done both. I find that oftentimes the groups have been at odds with each other where dub people are like, well, why would you do this? And then the sub people were like, well, you're missing all this stuff. And I, I find that there are trade-offs. All right. Well, anyway, I'm going to turn it over to you. Harold's story, dubbed versus subbed. Weigh in. Uh, yeah. I Well, I mean, I think growing up as someone that watched Toonami is my, my main, that's my intro point to anime. Um, you know, that's all uh, four kids and ocean and all those, those dubs. So I always had just kind of a default to watch the dub. Um, but that doesn't mean like if a movie's coming out, uh, I think Weathering With You, whenever I watch that, that's a Makoto Shinkai. Um, you know, it was in dub and theaters only. And I, I mean, I had no qualms with doing that. So I'm definitely not someone that's like, you know, dub all day. I'll never watch a sub, you know, <laughs> makes me think of um, Parasite, you know, the one inch barrier. Mm-hmm. And it's like, why? I mean, I wouldn't let something like that stop me from watching it. But like, just as like a general, like, what is my kind of default? I would say, um, yeah, I, I like the dubs. I like to watch it dub if I can. Um, but if not, especially the ones that are like, um, if they're coming out, you know, before there's a, a dub out. You know, I have friends that'll wait mm-hmm. until they do a dub to watch the whole thing. Yeah, um, I, I'll watch it subbed. I mean, I really don't mind. So another important piece of context, listeners, is uh, the anime that came to the States in the 80s and 90s and even early aughts. The dubs were kind of generally terrible. <laughs> yeah. Like, mm-hmm. like just it was Lotion not it was non-union this, yeah. actors. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not trying to fan, knock, fan dubbing. Yeah. Fan dubbing. Yeah. Right. It's, it's just again, not to knock any of those people, but, it, you know. You're not getting the highest caliber people. It's a different quality. Exactly. So it's kind of wow. distracting. The dub was so bad oftentimes. It was distracting you from the story. You couldn't take stuff seriously. And it really, it lowered the quality of the experience of watching it. Right. In which case, um, I shifted towards generally, my rule has been, if the dub is not getting rave reviews, I probably watch it subtitled. That's a good rule of thumb, yeah. I think. Ghibli, however... Despite what I just said, Ghibli has a history of different animal. always hiring the <laughs> – yeah. doesn't matter which studios handling the dub. They always – Dropping a Uma Thurman and stuff. Like. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I've always watched Ghibli films specifically with the dub. Um, yeah. And for me, the trade-off is when you do the dub, there might be some – especially even with a high-quality cast, there might be some small – Things that are lost in translation. However, you can then focus more on the artistry uh, that's mm. on the screen, which would, I, I really have a one of my favorite things about anime is just that visual experience. So it's, yeah. it's often worthwhile trade off my perspective. Now, Laron, you having not watched a ton of anime, yeah. what is your uh, preference here? Well, I'll say one thing about the, um, the dubbed version of 
of the boy and the heron is that there was one voice actor who I that, that did take me out of it for a moment, but well, no, I'll, I'll name him later. Um, <laughs> I, I have a guess. Say, you have yeah, a guess. I, say, I think so. <laughs> um, I think as a general rule uh, for me personally, like I'm, I I won't watch um, dubbed versions of of foreign films in general just because mm-hmm. I. I prefer to see the performance I'm looking at you know what I mean like then to because it is distracting to a certain extent to you know what I mean to hear someone else and see that they're not emoting the the precise way even if the person even if both people are giving good performances if it's not the same or in sync then it feels you know it, it's jarring you know yeah. for the purposes of this though because I'm not as familiar with these these worlds in this universe and this this visual language of of anime um just to make it more palatable for me to, you know, really digest the concepts that are being, you know, fed. Um, I did watch all of these in the dubbed form. Um, did you watch on Max? I did. I was going to say they're all on there right so now. So <laughs> Kiki's, um, so it's interesting. Uh, I don't know if you know about the Kiki dub, if you watched it when you were younger. Um, they, it's like super spoiler, so I don't even know how to say this, but like, yeah. In in the American version um, of the dub, you know Phil Hartman is Gigi, mm-hmm. and I guess like they played up Gigi a lot more in the American in the dub uh, than in the Japanese version, and he just in general talks more. And um, at the end of the film, Gigi act in the original dub, Gigi speaks to her again. He come he starts speaking again. Um, which is not actually the case in the Japanese, but they just thought like American audiences would like that. And actually, mm. I. I love it. <laughs> like, that's the one I grew up with. I'm like, oh, like Gigi's you love the like talking yeah. to her again. And um, yeah, and the they fixed it. And I, I guess a couple of years ago, I only found this out because I like watched the Max version. I was like, wait. <laughs> yeah. And so the one on Max is the one that they've like since fixed, and like they took that out. And I guess they took out a little bit more of Phil Hartman's um, some of mm. his lines. There's when you do a dub, you're not just doing translation; you're doing localization. Mm. Like there are things that um, aren't gonna translate. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I felt that a lot too, and I wondered with all of them, honestly, like to think like sometimes I felt like the English sentence that was said was a little too simplistic, and I was like, I feel like this is probably just the this is as close to an English the, translation the as they version. as they can say yeah. this concept. Well, sure and matching the flaps, so yeah. that's the thing well, they have to match the so mouth flaps. Yeah. So it's like. It's an art. Mm. It is truly an art form. <laughs> and I wondered, I wondered too, because like sometimes the, um, sometimes they'll make it, they'll do an expression that is clearly an American expression or an expression like, you know, where I'm like, would that translate at this time frame with this culture? You know what I mean? Like, or if that, or is that just how they're making us, assuming we're an American audience watching it, understand the concept they're trying to get across with it you know what i mean like some accessible thing for us to understand what they're going for just different like yeah metaphors and things like that that you know but that i found interesting (laughs) said in like the 1800s that's the way the cookie crumbles right like yeah they would never say that yeah (laughs) fun fact uh neil gaiman did the uh dub script for uh princess Mononoke. no way yeah it's wild i was like no wonder i like that one so much like (laughs) that's um, awesome well, with that said, listeners, how do you prefer to watch your anime? What is your favorite Studio Ghibli film? Let us know by hitting us up on social media. That's on Facebook. That's on X. That's on Threads. 
at the Cinematropolis or the Cinematrop. Or you can just email us your thoughts at the Cinematropolis at gmail.com. With that said, let's go ahead and get into our spoiler-free review of The Boy and the Heron. I'll be your guide. What is this place? This world is filled with the dead. I know it's a lie, but I have to see. I'm looking for someone. Let's go. We must protect this world ourselves. Go back, now! Marco! Marco! You and I aren't friends or allies, kid. So according to IMDb, the boy in the heron is described as a young boy named Mahito yearning for his mother ventures into a world shared by the living and the dead. There, death comes to an end and life finds a new beginning, a semi-autobiographical fantasy from the mind of Hayao Miyazaki. The Boy and the Heron is writer-director Hayao Miyazaki's 11th film from his studio and 12th film as a director overall. It's the first film he's made in 10 years. The Wind Rises was his previous, air quotes, final film, released in 2013. The film is very loosely based on the Japanese novel, the novel by Ginzaburu uh, Yoshino, titled, oh, yeah, I'm going to butcher this. I'm just going to say the word, the phrase that translates to how do you live in <laughs> English uh, though Miyazaki and team have said it's more semi-autobiographical than adaptation. It's more like he saw the cover and I think got inspired by it, honestly. Mm. Um, and you even see it ca- <laughs> the book actually cameos in the movie. I don't know if you guys caught that. But um, uh, here's what's n- noteworthy, though. Again, The Boy and the Heron was a title change from the Japanese title. And I'm actually disappointed because The Boy and the Heron is kind of a generic title, honestly, mm-hmm. I thought. Yeah. But the original Japanese title, that's like profound Mm -hmm. also not marketable to children (laughs) but you know pretty interesting (laughs) i I would say (laughs) just telling kids real early you gotta start them early like hey listen it's gonna go to shit (laughs) i'm just letting you know now how do you live yeah Yeah, the boy in the hair the the boy in the hair and feels very like you know velveta cheese on on (laughs) on your on your vegetables your broccoli there you know to make it more powerful (laughs) i I just can't believe like that was the best i could come up with that's what i'm saying you know like if this deep philosophical question and uh, the, the heron, the, the kids like animals. And there's well, the heron's heron. really, I mean, it's a character that interacts with them the whole time, but it's like, in the scheme of the whole movie, is that what, that do, big of a... We're going to call Princess yeah, Mononoke like, the guy and the wolf? I mean, or the guy <laughs> yeah. the I mean, <laughs> Come on. I agree with Amber. I think they could have done better. But hey, either well, way. I think, like, I mean, like, obviously, How Do You Live is, it's like one of those books that, like, you know, it's the hatchet or whatever. It's like one of those books that, like, in Japan, a young people, it's a common book that young people read and it's like been around forever. And um, so it's like, I feel like Japanese audience, how do you live? Like, will immediately make the connection. So I understand like why in America, like it would just be like really weird, but I definitely think they could have done better. <laughs> so following the release of The Wind Rises in 2013, Miyazaki announced that he was finally retiring for the fourth time in a statement. <laughs> I know I've said I would retire many times in the past. Many of you must think once again, but this time, I am quite serious. 
Okay, Cher. Cher literally does this. I'm telling you, he, is, he must really love Cher. That's a marketing in play, boy. <laughs> and then, after assisting with storyboarding for a short film titled Boro and the Caterpillar, uh, the short was released in 2018, but he, this happened in 2016, he decided that he was coming back out of retirement once again. So he had three years of retirement, guys. Come on. <laughs> The Boy and the Heron uh, has been in production since 2016 and was hand-drawn by a team of more than 60 animators. The producer, uh, Toshio Suzuki, has said that the movie is one of, if not the most expensive movie ever produced in Japan. Now, I want to clarify a huge grain of salt. I actually tried really hard to see if I could verify that claim, and I could not. Mm. So that could just be marketing hype on his part. But regardless, probably the most expensive Studio Ghibli film ever made, I'd imagine. Uh, the film, uh, actually, this just broke this morning. The film opened number one at the U.S. box office with $12.8 million, the biggest opening for a Studio Ghibli movie in the U.S., with $2.4 million of that coming from the IMAX, which is also noteworthy because last weekend, Godzilla Minus One was also number one. So Japan's having a moment here yeah, in the I U.S. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> also, that movie's rad. Yeah, I've, awesome. I've heard nothing but good things about That's that great. so far. In Japan, The Boy and the Heron, or How Do You Live, had zero promotional materials outside of a single one-sheet poster. Despite this, it went on to gross more than $50 million. The film was distributed by G Kids Entertainment in the U.S., with The Boy and the Heron being the widest opening the studio's ever done in its, in its history. For those of you who aren't familiar, I highly recommend you look up G Kids. They, they're they known for importing animated films into the U.S., and not just from Japan, from globally. Uh, you get stuff from Europe, you get stuff from China, Korea. The cast for the English dub includes, uh, I'm going to butcher this kid's name, Luca Padavan as Mahito, uh, Robert Pattinson as the Heron, Gimachan, uh, Jimachan as Natsuko, uh, Christian Bale as uh, Soichi. I think there's another character who's in there too. Mark Hamill as Grand Uncle, Florence Pugh as Kariko, Willem Dafoe as the Noble Pelican, and Dave Batista as the Parakeet King, among many other things. I told you I'd help you. Thank you. Can you help me? <laughs> did I did I butcher the name? Did I butcher the character names at least? Uh, Kiriko Kiriko should be Kiriko. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Shoichi, yeah. Natsuko. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds just, right. Just trolling you. No, no, it's okay. I, I deserve it. I deserve it. I should. Just, every I should time I come across those humble. words, just insert what she just said in yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. His yeah, like, yeah. voice sounded a little. It, it changed it real quick. With that said, what are our thoughts on the boy and the heron and Laron Chapman? My co-host, I'm going to start with you, sir. Okay. Um, yes. So um, with the string of films I watched this past week, um, what I loved about this was it felt like kind of this relentless return to the more fantastical and kind of allegorical aspect of, of Miyazaki's storytelling. Um, and it's so transporting, you know, and imaginative. Um almost to a overwhelming degree, you know. Um, but what I really um, admire is that it feels, um, it still feels very grounded in the types of themes that he plays with a lot in his other work. Um, and there is, there's like this explosion of colors and ideas um, throughout that um, even if personally I feel like the third act gets a little unwieldy for me, um, and that might just mean I need more more time with it, um, because and I'm and I'm excited to get into the spoiler aspect of this, so to hear all of your insights about what the ending ultimately means. But um, but it's still so intoxicating to look at and visually to look at that even if I'm a little lost in some of it, 
um, it was always just kind of very riveting to 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 behold, you know. So um, this also feels like again a very like um, that introspective kind of uh, storytelling that I think has kind of colored the his later work is definitely present here, but also with that you know, those beautiful landscapes and the, the beautiful kind of backdrop and the, the, the fantastical aspects of it are, are present. So it does feel very much like a merging or a collective of, of a lot of his work, um, everything that he's done up to this point. So, All right. So you are, you're a fan. I'm a fan, yes. Okay. Yes. All right. So Laurent is into it. Harold's story. What you got? Yeah, I did enjoy it. I, <clears throat> I did like it. It was very... Um, and I'm trying to figure out what to say and not say, so I don't do any spoilers here. So I don't know if you can on. spoil it. Yeah, say ping me on. <laughs> I think if you that's true. If you tried to spoil it, it would be very challenging to explain, <laughs> explain what you're. Yeah, I mean, don't do that. But also, it would be hard to. Yeah, explain. don't try to. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, it was very much like I've been thinking about since you said Guillermo del Toro earlier about Pan's Labyrinth, and it's a little bit about. It, it reminds me a little bit of that. That it's kind of like this escapism way that the this kid is trying to like figure out his life and figure out what to do like that i don't know if that kind of if that's if you guys are kind of getting what i'm saying but it's, yep. that that's how it made me feel it like reminded me of that um when you mentioned that and it's just such an interesting way that they've you know kind of the duality of like the real life and then kind of this whimsical like alice in wonderland kind of <laughs> like existence he ends up um having there whenever he uh you know, later in the film. Um, but I really enjoyed it. You know, it's like, has like that, that touch of everything you love in Miyazaki movies. I think that, that will scratch that itch for anyone that is like a fan of any of his films. Yeah. So you, you would say an overall successful encapsulation of uh, a Miyazaki uh, experience. I think the vibe, yeah, I mean, the vibe is very much there. Um, I know our friend Josh asked, you know, is Miyazaki a misanthrope? And I think that's a little, maybe a little far to say. No, no, no. Oh yeah. My, my, okay. So after the movie he was, he was saying is, cause we were talking about going back to what you were saying earlier. Like right. he doesn't think very highly of people, but there also is this like grain of optimism yeah, and hope. Like hopeful. Mm-hmm. Uh, I compared yeah. him to Ridley Scott, who I actually think is a misanthrope, <laughs> who actually hates people. And I'm, and again, I love Ridley Scott. Yeah. We talked about him earlier, but it's just, yeah. you know, there's a difference between a cynicism that is just mm. kind of hopeless yeah, and and the cynicism that is like, yes, things are awful, things are terrible. My generation effed up, and we continue to f up, and it's not getting better, and it doesn't look like it's going to get better. And yet, yeah, I, I, there's a hope that I see in this future generation that they can build something new and better. Yeah, no, yeah, it's that, it's that, the silver lining of it could go better. I'm, I'm expecting it probably not to go well. <laughs> Right, yeah. Yeah. or for it to you know be ruined in the end because people will always ruin everything, but there's like there's goodness that it could triumph and that could ultimately end up well, but it's probably not going to. It's kind of like how his yeah. the vibe is. It's how it feels like he that he is as a person, um, yeah. and I think that is pretty encapsulated in a lot of his movies. But this one is it feels like it's uh, pretty evident, pretty front and center. And it yeah. feels like a good epilogue to to like well, if the wind rises was allegedly well was supposed to be his swan song, you know that it does kind of that does kind of end, you know his his body of work on kind of a somber note, mm-hmm. you know, um, and it almost feels like 
he went back to say yes, but also yeah. you know there's True. there's let me let me leave a seed of 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 hope to grow in the future. It may 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 or may not. It's he's not really saying that it will. You know, but it even least, looks like a literal seat in the movie. So, but, you know, <laughs> but at least but at least right. we can yeah. use that to propel us forward in some kind of way. Like, at yeah. least let that be the goal. Sure. You know? Yeah. Well said, uh, Amber, what, what are your overall thoughts on The Boy and the Heron? Uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, kind of similar to what you guys said, like the like it goes back to the whimsy um, and it also goes back to mental health and depression uh like which is kind of what kiki faces too um like in young people which i think is an interesting thing he's always tackled um and like this like anxiety and stress of being a young person uh and growing up and what that means and in particular in this one a young person who's lost a parent and um you know that's it's it's deeply like something that I think a lot of people can relate to as you know, what he's going through. Uh, my husband, interestingly, you were talking about del Toro. Uh, he compared it immediately to Narnia uh, because like in the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, they're escaping war and That's stuff true. like yeah. that at the beginning. And then, um, and yeah, my thought was, you know, Alice in Wonderland and that sort of thing. Uh, but it's also a deeply confusing movie and I need a second <laughs> watch. Um, I yeah. feel like, agree. Uh, compared to all of his films like all of his films i feel like have very clear story like it's right. very like 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 you said the third act gets a little like what <laughs> um and there's like a lot of things that i'm just like i don't feel like i have a clear answer for at all in this film i think that's well said uh we're gonna try it the best we can to unpack it in yeah. the spoiler section I'm glad I'm not alone in that. So it's not just me. No, not. it's not no, just we you. We were like, okay. no, after the movie, like, what the heck? Yeah. But I also, okay. Uh, so, so one, you are correct. I 100% agree with Amber. Number two, I, my deepest regret is I did not have a, a chance to see this a second time and B, at least a week to think about this movie before jumping right. on a podcast sure. had like mm. around like what, 16 hours probably. <laughs> yeah. Um, because there is a lot going on it in is, this movie. There's a lot of ideas. There's a lot of things that are vibes. There's a lot of things that are style choices. There are a lot of elements that get thrown in. And it and it's so intentional that you're like, oh, well, this clearly is something. I don't know what it is. Sure. And I mean, you I'm, drew it. <laughs> right. Well, he had 60 people <laughs> draw it. Yeah. Yeah. What I'm saying is, though. This isn't always the case, but in this scenario, this actually is a point in favor uh, of the film for me hmm. because I'm going to be thinking about it's this exciting. movie for a very long yeah. time. And I'm going to be rewatching this movie endlessly trying to figure out or reading into it. And I also think it's likely to ha take on new meaning depending on when I watch it in my life. Uh, yeah. You know, and I think that sort of, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that's not clear. I'm going to go through and rewatch this thing probably like three times and I'll have some sort of answer in my brain that I can live with until I watch it again in 10 years. And I'm like, you know, no, no, he was talking about this thing, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so for me, it works favorably. Here's what I'm going to say. Uh, I'm going to quote Roger Ebert here, his 2012 review of one of my favorite movies of all time, Cloud Atlas. He opened his review. Again, this is talking about Cloud Atlas, but this statement for me applies to the boy and the heron. Even as I am watching Cloud Atlas for the first time, I knew I would need to see it again. Now that I've seen it a second time, I know I'd like to see it a third time, <laughs> but I no longer believe repeated viewings will solve anything. <laughs> to borrow Churchill's description of Russia, it is a riddle wrapped in a mystery inside an enigma. It fascinates in the moment, 
it's getting from one moment to the next that is tricky. And that is all like pretty much how I feel about the boy and the heron. It's bold. It's wildly imaginative. It has so many things on its mind. There are some things that we'll talk about in spoilers that I felt like were pretty clear alongside a ton of stuff that was absolutely completely unclear. Um, And uh, I just have to say, it it was nice to see him return to the whimsical and fantasy. You guys have already said this, but coming off of the the wind rises, which was a perfect period. But if you turn that period into an ellipses, Mm -hmm. this is what we get. And I quite like this. Again, uh, Ghibli, as as an actual capper, although Ghibli swears that they they are no longer saying he's retired. He's not saying he's retired. They said Uh he's still, they say he's back in the studio already. So we'll see. We might get another one. But this feels like the way to go. It's it's, it's bringing in all of the, um, all the things he did best into a movie and like in a way that people are not going to be able to stop thinking or talking about for decades. And I just think it's such a powerful film in that way. Uh, I have to call it the animation. Hand-drawn animation, guys. We're going to talk about more in spoilers, but absolutely stellar. You do not get movies like this anymore. Um, even if it's done in 2D, uh, if, you, if, you, if you're watching a 2D animated film, it's very rare, if ever, that you see a hand-drawn 2D film on the big screen. It just doesn't happen anymore. Uh, I also want to call out uh, – here we go again. Uh, Joe uh, – see, hi – Asiashi's, I see I said that wrong again. Uh, the score of the film, uh, which I was actually listening to as I was putting together today's uh, run of show, uh, just really deeply emotional and moving. Mm-hmm. So I think this thing's a- Very meditative for very, sure. Very, yeah. I, I would say Helm Run, I, I did find the pacing to be, and again, this is why I need to watch it again to figure out where mm-hmm. I land on it. Um, I struggled mightily for the first, you know, Lawrence, funny. you said that the last third is where you kind of lost you. That's where I felt like I was on board. Okay. It was the first two thirds where I was kind of, I felt like I was a lot of yeah, waiting right, around. Not that I needed it yeah. to go faster. And this is why I need to see it a second time to, to know how I really feel about sure. the pace. Sure. But I was expecting things to happen a little faster. You know, Spirit Away, you get into yeah. it fast. Mononoke, you get into it. Here, it takes its time. But also you get to know the characters, the struggles, sure. uh, the family history, mm-hmm. um, the complexity there. So I think it could be a benefit, but it was, a, it on yeah. first viewing, it definitely caught me off guard how slow the first two thirds of the film went. I, I think I put that that put me at ease because I was so, um, I felt like I was I had much more of a command over what I was viewing <laughs> until I didn't. Oh yeah, and when I didn't, I was like. Well, I can't hold on to anything right now, so I'm just gonna keep looking at it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like so, um, but it was still really beautiful and visually. Like I mean, I'm not. I was there in it, but I just felt like, um, yeah, like at, at the, the the slower pace of the at the beginning, I was like, okay, I, I I understand where we're going. I see what we're saying. I know what we're talking about. And then and then it, and then parakeet and then, showed up. And, and then, you're like, what, what's and going then on? everything just blew up. Just and blew up. Literally, it was just birds the whole way. It was for the birds. <laughs> So uh, I'm going to dig into this a little further, though, and especially thinking about this in terms of how you would talk to someone about this. So we've all seen it, but you're thinking, you know, Ghibli is typically recommended to families. Although we were watching Princess Mononoke this morning and Lauren, who had not seen it, was like, wait, kids watch this? <laughs> um, but Look, we, like, we watched a lot of stuff in the 90s. <laughs> yeah, you're like, Those kids have problems. It's now. true. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, how would we compare this to his previous films? So someone, your friend comes up and asks, hey, what do you think of the movie? Uh, is it like his other films? What would you What would you say? How would you compare that? And I'll, I'll turn to you, Amber, for this one. I kind of like what I said earlier. I think I would easily compare it to like Spirit Away or even like Ponyo. Um, it's 
definitely like goes back to the whimsy i think kids could watch this it's one of those things that kids aren't going to get the subtext as much the the beginning is going to be the hard part for kids so like if you have sensitive children i would say like the beginning might be something that this is where parent parental death happens so this is something (laughs) that you might need to be careful with with your children depending on how they who they are um but after that it's i think that a lot of the things that we took in as adults are going to be over their head and there's just going to be a lot of like colors and whimsy um especially toward the later half of the film so okay all right yeah it was interesting i was watching an interview with miyazaki and he said he said you know kids you can just give them stuff and they'll accept it it's adults who have a problem because they're trying to Mm -hmm. create rules around the stuff they're watching i'm Uh, a huge fan of scare your kids early and prepare them for the future. <laughs> well, and I say that, and I, and I say that not, not you know, mal, you know, with malice, but but just that like the world doesn't Realistic. wait for them to grow up right. to yeah, throw things I at know. them. It's true. So you wait till they're twenty, and they're like, "Why didn't I learn this sooner?" Or why didn't I? I don't know how to process this now. I think start early. So yeah, we did. I mean, I think we were thrown to the wolves with with content in the ni- the nineties. Were a weird <laughs> wild time wild west. <laughs> there were there were things we just accepted as yeah oh, yeah people do this. They shouldn't be doing this. You know, like, you know, that sort of thing, you know, so I, I but we, we survived and I feel like we can look back on it and cringe a little bit, but we're here. <laughs> I consider myself uh, technically 90s, as I guess is what they, they say is when helicopter parenting started. I definitely was not in that group. I was in more the latchkey uh, sort of mm. group. I think most of yeah. it sounds like most of us were. Yeah. So I'm, I'm with you, Laron. Um, You know. Scare them early. I don't know. I'm not a parent. What do I know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, I'm just saying I do like the idea that and this is what makes Miyazaki so great. He finds a way to introduce these really dense, complex themes and ideas in a story that is palpable enough for children to watch and still be able to enjoy um, without having to sacrifice the adult story that's sort of right, you know, underneath. Um, So I think I'm glad you called that out because I think that's one of the things he does really, really well that continues suit here. Uh, But Laron, I, I mean, how would you recommend this film in terms of comparing it to his others? I've like, again, I feel like it's a good, it's a good hybrid of a lot of the different ways he tells stories. Um, but I do feel like this is him. Like you said, it, like just the reckless abandon at the end is probably just all the contemplation he still has of this late in life saying, like, I don't really have a lot of questions about all these different things. What are the answers to the universe? What should we be doing? Um, uh, how can we fix any of these problems? You know, but um, but at least if we're talking about it, we're doing something about it, or at least, you know what I mean? Like, um, there's a path forward there. Um, so I think that it, it, if you're a fan of his work, then this is the Miyazaki of Miyazaki, you know, it has all of the things, the, the slow, the, it has the wind rises and it has Princess Mononoke, you know, it has spirited away and Ponyo, you know, so like it does have, um, a, a nice, highlight reel of all the things he kind of brings to this this world of telling of storytelling so i agree with everything you said i think he reincorporates those familiar elements but from a different point of view a different point of view a more late in life like looking back more reflexive Mm -hmm. you know point of view for sure even in the 10 years from here and when rises it seems like he, he he's also been contemplating these things for a long time. Contemplative would be definitely be an adjective I would use for this film. Even though it has the elements, it's like, yeah, but we're not walking. It's spirited away. Oh, they go through this gateway into a new world, but it is not the same experience or ride or even mean the same thing uh, in this film as it did in that film. Because those films feel like they're giving, they give you an answer at the end of them. 
And this one doesn't quite. Yeah. It gives right. you right. it gives you it's a open. an open door yeah. to kind of explore the ideas where the other ones kind of, like I said, just give you not tied up with a bow. It's still there's still a level of ambiguity in all of his movies. But, but you know, the, the takeaway, at least the, what you're yeah. supposed to be thinking you know about what the message is. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Harold, anything you'd like to add to that? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think if you're talking to someone that is familiar with Ghibli, I think you can tell them it's new yet familiar. I mean, it's it's a thing that if you like Miyazaki and you like the things that he does and talks about, um, you're going to enjoy this. But there's a whole new thing he's kind of exploring as far as like what does this actually mean for us as people. Um, I think Amber said, had it's such a great point about um, you know, kids are going to watch this. They may not get all the subtext, um, but that, but I like that about him. He doesn't talk down to kids. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I, and I've always, you know, he, there's a way to tell the truth without being harsh or without, you know, being vindictive or like dismissive. Yeah. And I think he tries to do that as best as he can be a good steward of like being open and honest um, without being, you know, hateful and like with malice. Mm-hmm. I think yeah, his- his children are just like so fully realized and i feel like that doesn't happen often even in you know movies geared for kids that are have kids as characters like they're just kind of stereotypes it seems like or like um in this film the kid is actually really quiet most of the film um and he just kind of learned who he is through his actions like he's you know clearly like a good kid like or trying to just you know do what he thinks is best which is very japanese too it's like you know to be very polite and uh but like inside you can tell that he has more going on and he you know this is not done through like words or like or anything um and i think it's interesting and it's interesting for kids to relate to yeah i I think that's well said i um you know one thing i just want to add here not necessarily I mean, it is kind of related to how you pitch it to kids. This is an auto, semi-autobiographical film. So, yeah, Amber, you said this earlier. Basically, there's a parental death at the beginning of the film, which, by the way, not to say that death is ever beautiful, but uh, the animation in that opening sequence was pretty breathtaking. Just you know, the way, that was a guest I, animator. The way he did the fire was insane. Yeah, It was a guest animator? Yeah, I read that wow. somewhere. Interesting. Hmm. Oh, that's interesting. I, I, I never seen – I don't. I, that's another one of those where you're watching. I was like, I don't think I've ever seen this. Done this that way, style, yeah. it's mm-hmm. very harrowing. Yes, yeah. it's very harrowing. Mm-hmm. You could like feel like feel the heat unsettling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, but uh, you know, Miyazaki's mother did not die in uh, fire bombings in Japan, but she did die at a young when he was very very young, and they did have to flee to the Japanese countryside uh, mm-hmm. during the war. So there is. You know, what's George Lucas like to say? It rhymes, you know? There's a lot of, it's semi-autobiographical in that it's it's very inspired by his his lived experience, but also is somewhat different than as well, uh, yeah. I think. And, you know, it is a kid who has already experienced one of the hardest things a, a person can experience at such a young age. And I think that adds more texture to the, the child character as well. Amber, again, it's not talking down to the kid. In fact, a lot of ways, I feel like the movie props up his children characters uh you know more on top of it than the parents um oh, okay so, so sorry good correction there amber corrected me uh that his mother died in 1903 but she had been hospitalized for a while okay, oh, okay. that is a good note thank you for that um, i'll clarify that uh but anyway i just think that there's a lot going on um in terms of uh like the emotional depth uh, that you know you have to harshness you have to go through as a child when you experience death and loss at such a young age again bombs being dropped on your country being another form of that that is really um kind of at the heart of the character i see throughout the film 
Uh, we're going to talk a lot, a lot more about uh, specifics and spoilers, but I do have to get to, before we get to recommendations, Lauren and I are currently in awards season, which is also Oscar hype season. Uh, and uh, I want to start, Lauren. I mean, this movie uh, just got named uh, New York Film Critics Circle uh, Animated Film of the Year, and the National Board of Review named it one of its top 10 films of 2023. Mm-hmm. Do you think this has uh, any Oscar chances uh, for next year? I am so glad that I saw this because I think before this, I would say that animation this year has been especially weak. I feel like as a category, you know, um, with, I don't know, I I mean, Wish being an example, you know what I mean? Like that being their centennial film. And it just puts it into perspective, right? When you compare the fact that we just watched that a couple, like what last week yeah. versus this movie, that's just so yeah. bold and it just flat. That just I, I it just so flat, you know. It's just like, but here, this is so imaginative and so unique and so impressive, and um, and you know, so I think with between this and um, uh, uh into the spider, not into the spider verse, across the spider verse, um, those are the two that are in contention. I think, I think. Um, this across the spider verse is definitely the front runner, but I think that this is a, a shoe in for a nomination for uh, best animated film for sure, uh, and deservingly so. So, and actually, I'd be as I I, I loved both of those movies, um, and I would I feel like this would be a more inspired choice to give. You know what I mean? Especially if it is the last film. Wink, wink. I don't know, but um, it would be a great capper as we as we've kind of alluded to here uh, for his work, and it'd be a nice it'd be nice to see that. Um, I don't know if that will actually happen, what the probability of that is, but I think I think it definitely will be nominated. I'm, I'm, I'm sure because there's no other there's not another another film I think of the caliber you know um, this year in terms of animation. So yeah, those are in terms of the animated film category. Those those are the two. That's the competition, right? That I really. Yeah as far as things you and I have seen or even like things I've looked at in terms of like big releases, nothing's even in the same. Ball right. Game. I mean like maybe close, close, like a, a far, far distant third is the turtles movie that may have me to make. Yeah. And, and it was great, but it's not a best but picture, but it's not yeah. the best picture. Yeah. yeah. And so best anime feature, I should say. Didn't Suzume yeah. coming out, out this year? It did. Yeah. Well, I see. I don't know how that would count. Yeah, I don't it know. If it, Cause sure. I think it was out last year for Japan. I don't know. Japan. How yeah. 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 I, I will but tell it'll you that probably one's... get snubbed because I have a lot of angry opinions about the animation category and Oscars. <laughs> <laughs> well, and here's the other thing too: anime. I think a lot of times the the, the G Kids is not usually pushing for the sure. awards. Uh, well, G Kids wasn't. Uh, that was Crunchyroll that brought Suzume. Oh, it was it Crunchyroll? Yeah. Okay. I don't feel like I see a lot of big pushes for those. And in fact, I would say that they're not pushing it based on when they get released. They usually get dumped in like January or February yeah. in America. What, you know, basically the the early, the winter after it got released in Japan, yeah. which means they're mm-hmm. not pu- if they're pushing it, it would have come out in November. They, or they seem pretty unburdened or unfo- unfocused on our American tradition of of congratulatory <laughs> awards. And they're like, we we put out good work. If you don't, you know, they're like they don't, care. they don't care. I mean, you say that was I was going to note here. Uh, Ghibli is basically saying, yeah, we have no interest in competing this movie competing in it for any awards. Okay. So like, we just want people to watch the movie, and yeah, we're sure. really proud of it. Uh, that's a classy route there. That's said given given it's a ghibli film given it's a miyazaki ghibli film i do think regardless of whether they push it or not by default it's definitely getting best animated film category mm-hmm. uh, nomination yeah i man i don't know spider-verse is gonna be a tough one to beat in terms of just the yeah, innovation just the popularity and the yeah. you know yeah and superheroes so, but like but, i've read about the 
the Oscar judges or whatever that and majority of them don't even watch the animated films like they have said that they've done like surveys of them and they like don't watch animated films so they won't even vote in that category and if they do vote then nine like a big majority of them will say they'll just ask their kids they will literally just be like they ask their kids what yeah in that case trolls is winning yeah (laughs) i think think spider-man probably was strong i I think it will get a nomination i think spider-man will probably be the win just because it's more like, well, it had a lot of, like, hype around it and stuff like that. It had a lot of, like, media attention. Um, I didn't see Wish, but I saw all the, like, hate for it. Elemental. It's not very good. It's <laughs> not very good. And Ele- we, Elemental and was I, mid, too. It was, like, yeah. Was and again, I liked before. Elemental. I but liked it was, Elemental, but I agree with you. It's, it's not, it's it was, not like, great. It's not great Disney yeah. or great yeah. Pixar. I mean. I did, it's I feel like, like the same story we've seen before. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, True. yeah. Definitely. I think Nimona is going to get snubbed. Um, I think it gets a nomination. I I will say as a I critic, think Super Mario Brothers body, might get an audition, and that'll make I, me mad. <laughs> I will just say, as a cr- person who votes in the Regional Fil- Film Critics Association, they have sent me a, a giant Nimona poster. So oh, they're at least cool. tr- they're at least they're trying. They're, they're at least pushing it, putting it out there. Um, I don't know if it'll, I don't think it has a chance against these other two though. No. Yeah. Now here's my bigger question though: Do does the Boy and the Heron get a best? picture nomination here's why i ask uh, i mentioned the national board of review leron you know what's funny it made the top they're on their top 10 films of the year mm-hmm. spider-verse did not make top 10 films of the year however spider-verse won best animated uh feature huh again That's an interesting paradox <laughs> yeah it's not it's not the academy um sure but i i'm just interested i'm kind of curious about that narrative and how that's going to come together if it's if it's not a competitive year for the for those ten spots, then I would say that there's a, an outside chance. Yeah. Okay. Has an animated everyone best animated yeah, animated on the films beast. The beast. It's kind of, but that's another thing too. Is it's also a very hard mm-hmm. hard for them to accept horror films, animated films, yeah, they're look, comedies. Yeah, they're super yeah. snubbed. The categories, yeah. like they they act like it's people it's see them as less. Yeah. 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 Um, but I will say though, uh, I'm, I'm I'm agreeing with everything you all said. <laughs> LaRon and I, and this is going to be an ongoing conversation, I'm just going to keep bringing up. <laughs> I am more optimistic about this year's Oscars than I have in a very long time. Because, and I, I, popular movies are going to be nominated in a lot of categories this year. Yeah. Barbie's going to be nominated for a bunch of stuff. Oppenheimer's going to be nominated for a bunch of stuff. Killers of the Flower Moon. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's nearly as big as those movies, but it is like an established, sure. yeah. you know, big budget film is going to yeah. be nominated. Stuff that's been put out there. Uh, and and my, my response to that, and it's not to say that Anything you guys have said that was wrong, but Laurent, you and I have also been saying for years, people get mad when like the Marvel movies aren't animated. It's like, well, maybe they should just make better movies. <laughs> yeah. And this year we actually just have, well, in terms of like the the big tentpole films, I don't want to sound <laughs> snobbish, but I, I'm, I'm not talking about horror or anime. I'm talking specifically about like, you know, mostly Marvel or superhero sure, films. Sure. Because, you know, uh, The Dark Knight, while not nominated, did start the 10 nominee uh sure. Yeah, they wanted they wanted to create a space where more films like The Dark Knight would get nominated. And all they've done is they've just given them four more spots to put more commercial movies in there. But you know, it's yeah. But we'll see. Anyway, I'm optimistic. I I guess I'm saying that's a long way of me saying I think it has a chance. It has as much a chance (laughs) as it ever would in this period in time to get that. Ninth or tenth spot. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Agreed. Agreed. According to Variety, Suzume is eligible. 
Oh, I don't know what okay. that means. <laughs> I mean, it could. I mean, there's five spots for best animated film. Yeah. Apparently, there was an Ernest and Celestine sequel that I didn't know came out. And now I want to go watch that. Yeah. It's going to be an interesting category because, like I said, it's been relatively. I mean, you had like Chicken Run, a sequel that no one's talking about. Uh, Netflix, yeah. I will say Netflix is pushing Chicken Run hard, though. Leo, they should. I think yeah, Leo. Uh, Chicken Run will get nominated just because it's stop motion. Mm-hmm. That's I'm just mm-hmm. putting that. I haven't seen it yet. I've heard it's just. I've heard it's just okay, but um, I haven't seen it yet. The first one's great. Oh but, yeah, but yeah, yeah. Well, uh, stick around, <laughs> listeners, on the cinematic schematic. We'll be talking about this probably until the Oscars happen. <laughs> I'm just very excited about the Oscars this year, guys. It's gonna be it's gonna be fun. All right, listen. Uh, all right, everyone. What letter grade would you give the Boy and the Heron? Laron Chapman, I'll start with you. I'm going to give this a B plus with a toe on an A minus. Like it's right there. It's coming and it's probably going to be there on my second viewing. I need to, I need to digest some of the things that happened in it, but I can say that I'm excited for that rewatch because um, it gave me a lot to think about um, um, thematically. And I think that it is, um, as I said before, a much, a much more um, hopeful, capper to the incredible work of of miyazaki and so um a a a very good send-off if it is in fact one at all if in fact it is one at all (laughs) all right amber what letter grade would you give the film so i was kind of b to b plus um i think i was in kind of a weird headspace and it was like late when i watched it (laughs) it was like a 9 30 showing because i wanted to watch the subtitle and um so I do think I need like a second viewing, but like my first viewing, my first like kind of feel for it of like feeling like it gets a little muddy uh, is the B to B plus. All right. That makes sense to me. Harold's story. That, that was exactly Amber agreed. Like that was exactly how we felt or I felt like I don't want to speak for other people, but it was like it, I felt like it's gone up in my head now that I've thought about it more mm-hmm. and talked about it a little bit. But at the time, like completely like encapsulated, like that time of the movie and watching it and right after I was kind of scratching my head a little bit of like, what do I feel about this movie? Like, is it, what did I just watch? Yeah. 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 So it was a little bit of that. And I think, you know, we're all saying it, it multiple watches is what it's going to take. I mean, all of my, all of the best movies to me are like that. Those ones where you watch them different times and you get something new out of them every time that you watch them. And if you're having a conversation in your head days after it, it, then it's, it's inspired something, exactly. you know, and that's, that's definitely valuable. This is going to sound so, uh, um, yeah, dweeby, I guess. <laughs> I went to sleep thinking about this movie, and I woke up thinking no, about yeah, it. No, I'm dead serious. Yeah. Like, I was, like, thinking about, okay, what are we going to say about this movie? And then I woke up, and I was still, the brain was still rolling right into it. And I uh, threw out a letterbox review while I was doing that. I'm going to go A- minus because of that. I, I think the movie is probably going to appreciate. I agree that the last third is maximalist Miyazaki mm-hmm. and that it's just so much stuff thrown at you so fast and you, and really you barely know what's going on. Sure. And the experience is a little overwhelming in the moment. But again, Harold, as you pointed out, the more, the more I've thought, I've been thinking about it obsessively, yeah. the more we've talked about it. And I know I'm going to want to see this thing a few more times. Like I know it, it's not just like, I think I will. I know I will. It's going to put up, bump it up to an A minus. And I don't know, asking in five years might be an A plus, a lot of people have been saying, is this a masterpiece? And I don't think I feel comfortable saying that yet. Sure. Um, I really need to take some time to think it in, uh, really take it in. Yeah. But uh, I do think it's 
it's one it could in my mind it could be so yeah. i give an a minus it feels kind of like to me like what i felt about kubrick's final film eyes wide shut yeah which has morphed into be one of my favorite movies ever mm-hmm. um, but at the time i definitely felt like is this a good closer to this <laughs> his his body of work but it's such a deeply contemplative film and to not they're not com- comparable in a, any other way except in that sense that they both are very contemplative and ask a lot of questions um but i think that that's that if that draws you back to it you know what i mean like that's that's i mean that's a huge testament to what what's there you know so um yeah Absolutely. I think I think that's uh, well said. Uh, listeners, go check it out. Let us know what you think again at all those social media channels. I, I thought earlier, I think there's I think the other thing I want to say I love about this movie is conversation starter. I feel like anytime we I run into someone like you guys in the in the wild, the real world, you see that movie. I feel like there's going to be a real conversation there. You know what I mean? It's not like, oh, I like, yeah, I saw it. And I liked it. They're like, it'd be like, yeah, I saw it. Man, that was crazy. Yeah. What did you think? You know, I've already talked to a couple friends that I'm like, all right, we got to go get lunch so that we can discuss this talk about our favorite parts <laughs> yeah, yeah what we thought about what this part meant yeah yeah exactly yeah. uh all right what uh, other things we recommend to our listeners so it could be movies television novels music video games any other media recommendation what you, would you recommend to our listeners uh and i'm gonna start with you amber oh gosh <laughs> um so i immediately just thought of other anime um so the there's one of my favorite animes. It's like a short series uh, called A Place Farther Than the Universe. Um, it's a coming-of-age story um, about a girl whose mother um, goes missing, essentially. And she's a scientist, and she goes to Antarctica. And it's called A Place Farther Than the Universe because um, that uh, I guess Antarctica is so far from like every other continent on Earth that it's actually like farther than you would be from the universe from space so <laughs> it's like it's, just, it's like if that kind of tells you anything about the title it's just like very thoughtful and like thought-provoking um and it's basically about the girl trying to um kind of get to antarctica to try and find her mom and then she kind of recruits these friends and school and i don't know why like i immediately thought of it for this other than like the whole like coming of age it's not like super it's like it's more subtle in a lot of ways um it's not whimsical but like another a whimsical show that i thought of um is wonder egg priority which has a really bad ending (laughs) and i hope like it gets like a second season uh to like but i the whimsy and the color and the animation style in wonder egg priority like if you liked this um i think you would like it and i thought i was happy i watched it even though the ending is just kind of like huh um so those were the two Oh, great recommends. And uh, here's another thing, Laurent uh, and I, when we decided we were going to watch this one, or more like I decided and was like, hey, Laurent, we're going to watch an anime. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, when, uh, it's an we important talk- one. I understand. Yeah. And that's the thing. We, we haven't really talked about Ghibli on this podcast a lot, but I feel like it is one of, for me, a cultural pillar that we really should break down. Anyway, you know, when when talking about anime, though, it's um, and Amber, this is one of the reasons I, I wanted to have you on the show specifically is there's a lot. Of, it's a whole yeah, again, genre form, but it's a whole different type of media than yeah, I don't what call, we I used to consider it a genre like you had talked about before. Like, it actually like really bothers me when people are like, I just don't like anime. It's like, I feel like that's just like saying I don't like animation or something like that. Right, like, right. Yeah, you know, exactly. It's so <laughs> broad. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Because well, there's so many it's, genres within the anime. something for yeah. everyone. Yeah, literally. It, it, literally everybody. I, I genuinely think you like something I agree. for everyone. You like there's high school dramas? Everyone. Tons. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I want to reiterate that I agree. Um, but it's a whole 
it's a whole can of worms where if you are a person who has not really engaged in anime, it's kind of overwhelming. So I, uh, again, and, uh, Amber, I just want to say thank you for making those hearty recommendations. Cause I think it, this is the kind of Miyazaki, uh, Ghibli is kind of a gateway into other stuff. It's like, mm-hmm. if you like this, here's some other anime you'll probably <laughs> yeah. enjoy. And it, it's, um, well, it's not a, it's not a monolith, you know, I think right. that's what it is. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what a lot of people think it's all this. If you've seen one thing that might be a little confusing or abstract to you, there, for as many examples of that, there's a wind rises, you know what I mean, right. or a a more pared down, straightforward story that's not that's not whimsical and fantastical, you know what I mean? Like there are straightforward, uh, yeah. what, what we would consider like prestige films on on the other side of animation, you know, like so. Um, it, it's its own universe and it has subgenres upon subgenres, subcategories. So, yeah, that's it's really more the form, not the genre, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, thank you for those recommendations, Amber. Um, Harold Store, what would you recommend? Yeah, man, I'm all over the place on these. This is <laughs> the way I was trying to think about it was like, how, what are the other things that I watched that made me feel similar things to whenever I watched this? So, there's things like I mentioned earlier, Pan's Labyrinth was one that's kind of like, you know, this girl's going through these things and what is she learning from the situations and everything. Um, James and the Giant Peach was another one. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. That came to mind. Talk about weird stuff we were allowed yeah. to watch in the 90s. <laughs> Man. Uh, Roll Doll. I think it's a Roll Doll story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, so uh made me think of that one just because of, you know, a similar feeling of like that he's learning I don't know, all these are just like about the condition of like growing up and learning up and figuring out who you are and things like that, man. And it's it's hard to grow up with somebody who doesn't believe in you, I guess, is mm-hmm. kind of a, one of the things that stuck out to me about um, just like how I felt about those things. Mm-hmm. A Monster Calls, I think, is the last one that I could think of. Mm-hmm. Very underrated movie. Um, yeah. yeah. I don't also know, dealing I, with the grief of a lost Well, mother. yeah. The, you know, it's that one's an interesting one because it's like over time and then that movie just breaks my heart. But um, I don't know. I didn't want to be like, what's other things where people their moms die? She watched Bambi. Uh, <laughs> um, you know what did it? What did? How did I feel whenever I watched this? And what are the things I watched that made me feel similar way? Is mm-hmm. kind of how I approach it. Scratching out alternate media recommendation for Bambi right now. <laughs> <laughs> I kid, I kid. <laughs> no, I, I think, that, and that's. I think I'm glad you mentioned that, Harold, because that's the, another thing about this movie is. This is while it has a lot on its mind. A lot of it is vibes for yeah. sure. Oh, yeah, it's a very strong vibes movie. In addition to being a, a lot of other things, but a lot of it's just like I don't know what's going on, but I on the wave form. Uh, yeah, we joked film. about um, everything, everywhere, all at once. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the ending of it kind of being like that. Yeah, or or like, just like oh, sorry, <laughs> or like ahead. Summer Wars, another anime oh, movie. Yeah. That's another wow. one that I I feel like I never Great know reference. what that movie is really about. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, is that Shinkai? Uh, that is uh, no, 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 no. That's a Mamoru Hasoda. Yeah. Oh yeah, Hasoda. Yeah. Uh, which um, sneak peek, Lebron Chapman. <laughs> what, 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 what are your some of your alternate media recommendations? Oh, that's um, I, I think the Pan's Labyrinth is a beautiful choice, and that's one of my one I chose as well. Oh. Um, and just because I dealing with how a child processes not just trauma and grief, but like extreme trauma yeah. and grief, like the worst condition th- things the four of us could not really process because um, we didn't live in the same situations, you right. know, um, we hear about them, we read about them, but how, what would that do to a develop, a developing mind, you know, and body and like, where do they go? You know, what, where do you mentally to survive that? Cause you do have to survive it, you know? 
um, and they find these incredible, like I said, like visual metaphorical ways of kind of a childlike mind trying to escape, but also interpret what's happening to them. And so I would say Pan's Labyrinth and also one that came to mind is um, The Boy in the Striped Pajamas was one that I think of of just like this horrific brutality is happening around these two innocent kids who just want to, who are, there's just, there's a wall dividing between the two of them, um, a wall between their, their common humanity, you know, but, um, but they come from completely different worlds and they're interpreting things from a different perspective and they can't understand why it, why they can't just have this, why the world can't just do what they're doing, you know? And in so, their mind, they're the same. In their mind, they're the same. Yeah. And, Everyone else is telling them differently. So those are two examples that I that, I, that came to mind when watching this. Oof, man, that one makes me cry every time. That ending, Jesus. that ending, Jesus. Yeah. Oof, it's a it's talk about a bleak ending. This movie, this movie does not have a bleak ending. The boy and the heron, <laughs> <laughs> contemplative, but not bleak. It's the word of the day. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, sorry, Amber. I'm gonna bring it back here. Because I actually had the works of um, Moro Soda as on my list, starting with Summer Wars, the movie that got me into his stuff. I don't know that I could tell you what it's about. No. Um, so I don't want to cut you off and say you're wrong. I will say I can tell you part of what it's about, which is families across generations coming together to solve an unsolvable problem. Mamoru Hosoda, he also did uh, The Girl Who Leapt Through Time, Mirai, uh, this last year, his most recent one, not last year, it was uh, Bell, Bell. Uh, or my personal favorite, the second entry of the Digimon, the second part, part two of the Digimon movie, <laughs> of course. I thought uh, Bell was very similar to Summer Wars, but I think better. See, I like Summer Wars better, but, well, they both have... I like the ending of Summer Wars better, I should say. Um, but Bella had all the, 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 the audio visuals in that were spectacular. Yeah. I'm also going to recommend, just for shout-out, non-U.S., other non-U.S. animation, uh, a little film called Wolf Walkers uh, from oh, Ireland's Cartoon good. Saloon. Cartoons, anything Cartoon Saloon does, yeah. A+. They did The Breadrunner a few years ago as well. That's another studio that... I Great think reference. they're of that caliber that hasn't quite gotten the notoriety yeah. of Ghibli just yet, but they, they put out amazing stuff. Yeah. Uh, now, uh, and uh, Wolf Walkers is now playing on mm. Apple TV+. Yeah, Plus. If you want to have a buffet of different non-American animation, uh, you should check out Star Wars Visions. There are two seasons of that. And yeah, it's all filtered through the lens of Star Wars, but it's not like Skywalker Star Wars. It's just all sorts of different ideas related to Star Wars, all using... Totally unique animations for these short films. Short films that are anywhere from like five minutes long to like 20 minutes long. If you want to see a buffet of what's possible in hand-drawn, either hand-drawn animation or 2D animation, check out those. There are two seasons on Disney+. And lastly, if I'm looking at uh, contemplative mm -hmm. works, word of the day, uh, obviously. I'm going to use this in my my handle to, I mean, my my plug for this whenever, whenever we post it. <laughs> Contemplative <laughs> review. Uh, I have to, and I know people are tired of me talking about Martin Scorsese, but I do think in terms of directors who have done a really, have been doing some really interesting work in terms of reflecting back on the stories they've told, the life they've lived, and how they feel about certain things at the very end of their life. I think, you know, Martin Scorsese, I, 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 obviously we've talked about silence a lot. Killers of Flower Moon in a certain light earlier this year. But frankly, the one that I, I would recommend most directly to The Boy and the Heron is The Irishman, uh, because uh, that movie is really dealing with the mob mafia genre, which is what popularized him and him really coming to terms with, like, what did that all mean? It's like what going it, back to his roots. Mm -hmm. yeah. But from a totally different POV, right? Uh, which I feel like is what Miyazaki's doing here as well. It is also three and a half hours long, so <laughs> buckle up.
Buckle up. Sorry, you had me. You got my gears turned and talking about cartoon saloons. So I want to throw out Song of the Sea. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, that's as a good another one. suggestion. Um, very similar vibe as well. Check it out, listeners. So many good things that I have seen actually. That's a great. Okay. One. <laughs> it's a good one. Uh, so check it out, listeners. All right, before we get into spoiler section, I have to ask, and I'm not. I don't want to be dark or, or you know anything like that. But uh, Miyazaki, are we going to get another one? Yeah. Hold hold for reaction. <laughs> no, no one's saying anything. He's know, in his man, 80s, but like Japanese guys live to like 100. So <laughs> and I feel like he's already been working on stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I he's in the kitchen. So long as he's alive and he's cooking, nature doesn't run its course, so to speak, he'll be creating till yeah. he dies. It's like a, it's like asking if a bird's going to fly. Right. You know what I mean? He's just like, there's people that. You know, Michael Jordan retiring five times and all, you know, people, Tom Brady, people that yeah. are put on this earth to or do sorry, Brett Favre, Brett Favre. That was yeah. a better one. Yeah. Has he are, done shorts? Has he done things that aren't, that aren't yeah. feature length? Then he, I could see them, yeah. you know, maybe like I won't do another feature, De- but I'll yeah. do some more, you know, I exactly. have the theme so, park now. Actually, I don't know how he feels about all that stuff. All oh, right. The commercialization. Yeah. 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 Uh, well, and I and frankly, like the exact thing how did like, talks out against? How does he? How does he feel about it? I actually think you could look at this movie, The Boy and the Heron, and say I think he's got very mixed feelings about it. <laughs> like, I mean, it's not about it's that true. specifically, but you know, the idea that he built something that he, at the very end of his life, recognizes as imperfect, even him doing his best mm-hmm. was not enough. Yeah. And there, he still had to make compromises that he didn't want to make. And I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. That's life, man. Yeah. It's a. Uh, it's tough. I think that's a good point. That said, theme park is on my short list for my trip to Japan. <laughs> so. And the museum. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Which mm-hmm. has, there are short films in the museum that like we don't have, we've never seen. Oh, there's it's short films in that. There's like a cat bus short and stuff. What? Very yeah. Oh man, I love it. They, uh, yeah, it's stuff that only plays at that museum specifically, nice. which is pretty cool. All right, listeners. Well, hey, if you don't want to be spoiled on The Boy and the Heron, I don't know if we could spoil it if we tried, but if you don't want to <laughs> risk it, go ahead and tune out now. To understand something well enough to yeah, <laughs> I could tell you what happened, but you still don't know what happened. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so how do you live? The film's original Japanese title, I think, is also the core question the director is posing for the audience through uh, Mahito's own journey through grief and also self discovery. And given the film's semi autobiographical nature, I really think it does help us out a little bit to to start solving the puzzle of the movie because it does put this in a somewhat specific context uh and i was doing a ton of research on just miyazaki's worldview and the the filmmaking process behind uh this specific film and there was an interview where he said uh when asked why are you making this movie or why don't you just retire he said it's not that i'm making something adjusted to our time it's that as a person living in this time i have found something i should make because of our time something i haven't done yet so that said I thought that would give us a, at least enough clues to like start talking about this in a meaningful way. What sort of lessons or ideas specifically about like legacy do you think Miyazaki is really expressing through uh, the boy and the heron, AKA how do you live? Yeah. Anyway, I, um, go ahead, Laron. Something that came to mind. Well, not to, I mean, as I was reading a little bit more about um, Miyazaki, the, the person, you know, 
um, is that he mentions that his first childhood memories are of scorched, bombed cities. And I, I just can't imagine that, you know, again, like that wouldn't just, you know what I mean? Like that just would change the trajectory of any kind of like, you know what I mean? Like from that point on, like his human experience. And I think that, um, like putting that into perspective, another thing he mentions that, um, that he wrote, um, this for his grandson, um, as a, as kind of a, I think it's specifically just to quote him, um, that this, the intent for this was to leave a message about, um, the, the life about life to a child whose life he would, um, um, miss great, you know, largely miss because he's, he's at a certain age, uh, twilight of his age. And I think that with that in mind, um, it does feel like, um, if we're going to, now we're in, we're, we're in spoilers, like dealing with yep. the ending, you know, um, like what, um, like he's, he's reflected on war. He's reflected on this and in some degrees had somewhat of a cynical eye view of humanity, you know, um, but what if we do have a choice, you know, here at the end, um, when, when we get to a certain point in the story, when we learn that, you know, he has a decision to make to, to be the successor of something or to, you know, go back to like basically deal with the things that have affected you in your life, do what you need to, to survive, do what you need to, to, to process it, but ultimately go back and do the work, you know, that needs to be done in your own place, you know, and, um, find a, you know, find a path forward there, you know? Um, and so I think that that in many ways, this film does feel like that, like a, re a rejection of this notion that just, you know, he goes to this fantastical world, but he's not, he's not, you can't stay there. You do have to do the work, you know, um, in real time. And, and that is to be a better human and to help advance in the world. So I look at that's my rough interpretation, I think of the ending and that, of that, that, that third act, um, I, how, well, it's conveying that I'm not sure, but but at least it's it does feel like that's it's kind of something that he wanted to leave behind for the new generation, at least in his own lineage. Yeah, my so my take on it was similar to yours. I kind of there's like two there's like multiple layers to it. There's how does he feel about humanity and the world we live in, and then there's also this layer of like how does he feel about Ghibli? Because mm. I, I feel like this ending. I read that same interview where he talks about his grandson. He's talking to his grandson. I see that. I also feel like he's talking to Ghibli management and the next generation. And that includes his son who would theoretically take over. Yeah. And then I feel like he's talking to us, the audience at this, all of this, at this, like at the same time sure. about this world is terrible. I did the best I could. I built this whole thing. I stacked it, but I can't, it, it's going to fall. I'm going to go and it's going to fall. I need you to rebuild it. Yeah. And you can escape from all of that into this little world that I've built. And you can keep building. Sure. But, uh, you know, uh, Mojito, I said it again. Mojito uh, says that, uh, no, I don't want, yes, that sounds great, but also I have to live in my, I have to live my own life. Yeah. I am flawed. I am already too flawed to do the job you're asking me to do. I created this, yeah. the scar in my head myself. I'm already tainted. And in, accept, in, in accepting. Mm -hmm. what has mm -hmm. happened to you right? as a thing that you have to do in order to move forward. Mm -hmm. You can't dwell too long on it and not do something because it's unhealthy to stay there for too long. 
And maybe that's what that universe is. It's like, this is this idea where, yeah, you are in control of all of this, but really we, there are things we aren't, we aren't in control of and we still have to live and we still have to move forward. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And Amber or Harold, anything you guys want to want to add or, or weigh in on? It's just uh, that last part was interesting to me. Like is, is he the grand uncle in all this? Mm-hmm. And is how you yeah. feel is that. And then in that case, like, it's kind of been publicized that he hasn't been super happy with his son and like his son's yeah. earth sea film. He didn't, wasn't happy with it. And um, he, Goro hasn't really done much since I think did he do that 3d one. I never watched that here one. Yeah. The, the one, one that I'm or whatever. Here we the, the witch. That's the one oh. I was literally, I was going to talk about that here. I, haven't, yeah, I, I yeah. actually haven't watched that one. Cause I was like a little yeah. like worried about it. Um, yeah. But the, the, the I, trailers make it look very worrisome. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if, like, cause like at the end, like the, he's the, the boy has a chance to take it on and he, he doesn't cause he's too flawed. And then the whole thing comes crumbling down and it's gone. Right. Like, <laughs> like it's kind of, that feels a little dark. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, I really read that. And again, this is where I add the layers and I'm not saying this is the definitive. I, I really don't think there is a definitive, but my yeah. take on it was the tower kind of is Ghibli. We built this mm-hmm. amazing yeah. world full of amazing fantasies that have encaps, uh, like captivated generations, but it's no longer sustainable. It is going to collapse unless you, my grandson, step in here and build it. You know, like he's and, literally telling him, uh, "Don't do this. This is what's going to happen." But also, the, but also, he's so that's the metatextual. But then also, in within that story, the you know our main character decides not to do it and let it crumble. Yeah. And I think the movie is sort of like saying that's what you should do. You should go live your life. Mm. You should accept the things you that have happened to you and live it to the fullest. It's definitely not seen and as a bad thing that he makes that choice. Like it's right. It's yeah. never like. You know, when it, when it first is said, like, you would think, like, the granduncle is going to be, like, angry and stuff. It's like, he's been waiting this whole time. But it's that's not, you know, how it goes. It's just kind of like. Yeah. There's also the line about the bloodline uh, that I uh, we didn't acknowledge. But I think that also tie, makes a really strong case for the grandson reading there mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Held, Held, what are you thinking? Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what Amber is talking about is kind of where I was. My head was. My head has been since watching the movie is that. Thinking about those regrets you have maybe as a parent or not regrets necessarily, but like, am I building my kid into a corner and making them think that there's only so many things they can do Mm. or I'm going to be disappointed in them? And I don't know if that's just because I'm a new dad or anything like that, but I I think about that often just in general in my life is like people always ask me what my son's going to do. I'm like, he's barely a year old. I don't know. Mm. He just got here. I don't know. (laughs) Like, I have no idea what he's going to be into, but I know that I'm going to love him no matter what he does. And it feels like that a little bit there at the end that it's almost like he's telling his son, like, man, if it goes to shit, that's okay. Like you're my son and I still love you almost in a way. I'm like really speculating and reading into it. But, you know, I always think it makes me think since yesterday when we watched it, like, is that what, you know, part of the autobiographical part of it is that he has that pressure on his son or his, you know, his family, that bloodline, you guys are the only ones that can keep it going. And, like, he has built this thing, and it's been this amazing, flawed thing that has touched so many people's lives. And it's like, what if they don't want to do that? You know, what if they want to do something else? What if they don't feel fulfilled doing that or feel like they can't live up because they won't do it the exact way that their dad did? So, I don't know. I just, I, I end up 
ruminating in a thing like that whenever I fixate on something and it's like, wow, this is really, what are they really trying to say there? And this, this makes sense to me, mm-hmm. like how I relate to it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, the other layer I'd add to it, um, sort of kind of what the parental thing is thinking about. And I'm curious, Harold, you having, uh, by the way, congratulations. Uh, Harrison <laughs> just turned one year. He did. Yeah. Um, I also read that, you know, especially if you think could take into consideration a lot of Miyazaki's themes about war and the environment and how dour and seemingly hopeless those things have been. I mean, you can, he's got tons of interviews where he's like, I keep putting these stories out there and nothing changes and it just feels so hopeless. Mm. Do you get this sense? Like, I also get the sense that maybe he's also having a, a dialogue with the audience in a way, which is like, I did the best I could to try to change things. It's up to you the next generation to sort of solve, solve. I don't know. What, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, it could, I mean, it definitely could be one of those things is that, you know, we try to talk. It's such an interesting thing. And we think about when we're growing up and how things were for us and the next generation. And you can't help but think a lot of those things, especially now that I have a, a little boy, I always, you know, the first thing I was thinking was like, I'll never do what my parents did. To me. You know what I mean? And I think, Part of being being in therapy helps that a lot. You know, I've been in therapy for the last few years and thinking about what things we give power, you know what I mean? And where where is that coming from that the way that you're kind of steering these kids, you know, he doesn't know anything at all. So I'm going to be the person that helps shape his perspective and what he thinks about things. And I do think it is important to, like, just tell people, like, you know, the world is a dour place and there's a lot of bad things out there and it's important to be realistic and tell the kids that, but also like our job as parents is to like is support them and let them know that they're, that they're loved and capable of loving. And so that's what I always think of is that it's like, there's this huge responsibility to feel like I want to not feel like I've coddled him or like, uh, you know, really sheltered him, but make him feel prepared but not in a way that's discouraging to him or think that he could ever do anything that's i would be disappointed in him or not love him anymore like here son the environment's a dumpster fire go solve this problem (laughs) it's like yeah like what is a thing that what what is the thing he's gonna have a passion for like what's Mm -hmm. gonna be his path in life i don't know he has to figure that out right and i don't want to be i don't want to make just another version of me you know what i mean i like you're your own person man you got to figure out for yourself what do you think so that's the way I end up thinking about things any anymore these days anyway. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's very relevant to the, the film and it works on a lot of levels. Like I said, we can like, break down three of them. Um, the other thing I want to add, and last take here on, on this before we dive into trying to figure out what the hell the parakeets are, <laughs> um, is, uh, you know, going back to The Wind Rises, where uh, it really seemed like that was a definitive, this guy is reflecting on the outcome of his career and what that's meant to him personally, both good and bad. Whereas this, so that film went honestly felt like a deeply personal film for him. Mm-hmm. This feels like a film for us. Sure. If that makes or sense. For both, or for both. For both. For both. both yeah. For sure. But I mean, he's, I think in that, in that last film, he's more speaking, reflecting for himself. Whereas this is, he's putting it out there and, and, and turning it back on the audience to go out and yeah. 
do what we will with. It's the more of a call to action, whereas the other one was more of self-reflection. Yeah, right, you know? right, true. So I don't know. I don't know what to do with that. I just think it's it's uh, interesting, especially we think about the uh, end of a potential end of a guy's career. Yeah. So parakeets, guys. Anyone have any thoughts on what they mean? <laughs> I have to. I'm serious. I always think about things like that. I'm like, is this some cultural thing that I just don't get? And I'm like, it's confusing to me. But people in Japan are like, oh my god, this is on point. <laughs> I mean, it could be. I felt like that be. about the little um, spirit guys. I was like, I feel like there's maybe some Japanese yeah, thing here, cultural background. Or like, you mean the that, flying marshmallows? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you mean the, the human souls that got consumed by the man, pelicans? Yeah, they got Pac-Man. Yeah. That was crazy. Oh, man. I thought it was interesting that like um, the birds, you know, they seem like bad guys, but like they're starving and like they like mm-hmm. they don't have anything to eat and that's why they're like eating people and stuff like that and it's like it kind of goes back to like this is just nature to them. Like it's just like nature being nature i guess i don't and i kind of survive yeah yeah parakeets i'm no, assuming I were like grand uncles like he had kept birds or something i don't even know <laughs> 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 where the pelicans come from <laughs> and the heron yeah yeah that was odd so, he's very much an environmentalist too so mm-hmm. it could be some oh, vague yeah. reference to like if we keep doing this like the look, you know the, look the, what we're doing look what we're doing to yeah. the, the world and the nature around us when we, well yeah like he built I, I, this and it's like destroying things kind of thing Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah I, uh, I think uh, the best example the case for that is when we get, when Willem Dafoe makes his cameo as the King Pelican or whatever, mm-hmm. who, you know, they, who's bleeding out and talking. He's like, you guys did. I don't we don't want to be here. We just you guys put us here and this is how we survive. Mm-hmm. We would actually rather not be here. Yeah. But this is the system yeah. that we have to participate in in order to survive, which, you know, yeah. could be talking about reading that that is nature. Within the context of what the grand uncle has built, sure. I suppose. Yeah, that's about to I got on the pelicans, <laughs> and then I guess they'll and, still go and eat humans. Uh, and the yeah. and the meteor. Yeah, yeah, that was I, you said it looked like a seed. I, I said it looked like a seed. Yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't realize I said, it was a meteor until I read articles. Like, I didn't either. Okay, I think I have um, the so of the there were a couple realm. things actually, um, and I and I know. Harold, correct me if I'm. You guys, correct me if I miss it. I there were two things that I thought were pretty important details that maybe it was the dub that I just totally missed it. No, I missed. I think I, I missed the same things. Okay, because one was the meteor, yeah. which I guess the meteor w- had crashed into that. That's yeah. where they built the house on. Yeah, right? was that? Did you guys catch that? Yeah, I totally the, missed it too. They built and I the building up. around the <laughs> meteor for whatever. I don't know okay. why they did that, but they. But didn't why did say, you catch that? No. Okay, I didn't okay. catch it either. Okay, so Harold Harold was paying the best attention. I, I, mean, I didn't know this. why they did that. I, just, I feel like the okay, meteor is a cultural thing too. The, it's it's yeah. in your name, and um, have you guys yeah, have you guys watched Blue Eyed Samurai? Uh, it started. Yes. Uh, it's a thing. Like the meteor is a huh. thing in that too. So could be a reference. Okay. So I, yeah, I think there's definitely some cultural symbolism there. The other thing that is clear at the end, but I did not feel like was clear at the beginning, and I can't decide if it was intentional or it was a, a lost in translation. The dub. So his dad marries his uh, his mom's sister, yeah. mm-hmm. which I caught on to at the end when she started referring to you know younger sister, yeah. older sister. But I did not. They just talked about how much she looked like his mom at the beginning. Was and that I caught on to it pretty quick. Oh, did you? Yeah. Okay. Maybe did you guys did you guys catch that immediately, or am I that I just missed something? I, I kept having to remind myself that it was his mom. You know, like the the younger person right. 
you know, right, that 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 was it wasn't just another character and 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 a surrogate character for the. It was a younger iteration of his mother. But but was it clear to you more specifically that, that when cool. he said, "Hey, my mom, my, my dad remarried." To a woman that looked a lot like my mom, mm. was it clear to you that, that was her sister? Because it was not clear to me. Not at the beginning, no. But she keeps so. referring to her though in that in the other world that that my little my, sister, my my my, my yeah yeah. So I, I actually like, got okay. that right away when she said that my little sister, and I was like, oh, okay, this is his mom. Like okay. right away, I got that. The, uh, I don't know if it was just in the dub, but that part, she's like, I'm going to be your mom now. Oh, my gosh. Like, was, wait, there were some <laughs> there were some dub cho choices that were kind of hilarious. Also, hearing 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 Christian Bale as his dad come in and say, we will get vengeance on the person vengeance. who hurt you with the rock. I was yes. like, Batman talking wow. about vengeance. Yeah, okay. <laughs> in the Easter egg there. Uh, that was funny. Uh, cool. Well, a couple of things I want to hit on. How do you guys, how, you know, how do you guys feel like this movie? We, we talked a lot about how it pays homage uh, to some of his past works. Uh, how do you th think this film both pays homage to, but also presents them in a new light? So uh, just a few little nods I caught. Uh, and maybe I'm reading into it. You can tell me if I'm wrong. You know, at the beginning we see him crawling through the forest to discover the house. It feels very reminiscent of Tortoro. You've got um, obviously the whimsical gate, which straight out of Spirited Away. Um a lot of flight, which could be the wind rises. Porco Rosso came to mind. Uh, also could be Nasca. He likes flying. Yeah. Um, but uh, I don't know. Is there anything in particular you guys caught that stuck out to you? And especially the way they maybe like reframed it to be a little different than we'd seen it before. I think it's just the Easter egg too of the factory he worked in. Yeah. And then they just had to store plane parts over at my house. I'm like, okay, well, you, you worked the planes in. Good job. <laughs> oh. Like, that was another autobiographical thing. I guess his dad really did run a um, work in the plant. A, a plant that oh, manufactured cool. parts for planes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was like the the top part of it, like the yeah. The, and then I I think we talked about um. It was at towards the end. He and then he goes out to one room. I think it's when the granduncle's sitting at the table with the big um seed mm -hmm. at the or meteor at the mm -hmm. top. And uh, there's just like a moment when they walk out, and that's like the classic, the classic whimsical, like wavy uh, grass yeah. skyline mm -hmm. shot. I was like, oh my god, this is like the quintessence of Miyazaki right here. Right. Felt so like otherworldly, you know, I'm almost yeah. divine in that moment. Uh, except for it's kind of presented though. That's a good point. I didn't thought about it that way. It's presented in such a this is really beautiful, but also it's about to be destroyed. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is kind of I know. yeah kind of like spirited away with like moving from the city or like where you know to like the countryside and like yeah, the countryside having all the like the magic <laughs> essentially yeah yeah it's well because because technology just just you know beats the magic out of the out of nature apparently which is something you all yeah i mean uh, is also in princess mononoke uh, yep. as well mm -hmm. and even the, the creatures like in this i i feel like that's another thing is like the 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 animals in a lot of um, like uh, American animation is very much like the the woodland creatures help help them guide them through everything and right. Um, but there's a cuteness to them, and I feel like here he, he they look familiar, but there's also this kind of eerie, kind of almost mm -hmm. sinister, you know, undertone with this, particularly with the heron. Mm -hmm. It was a, actually very terrifying at first. That voice, oh yeah, just like <laughs> oh my goodness, it was like. 
this is not a cute animal. This is like this is like a, a menacing, like uh, yeah, yeah, a, yeah. Bird with teeth, a bird like, with teeth. A bird with teeth. Well, yeah. when the nose and the eyes stick out at first, but you don't mm. realize it's a person's face. Inside you're like, it. what is that? Yeah. Like, what is happening? Is it morphing? Is it mutating? What's it doing? Yes. Uh, yeah. So I, that was one thing that I mean, just little. Um, there's a lot of um, visual and um, thematic kind of ties, you know, in this one that I think pay homage to his work mm-hmm. at large, but. But again, it feels like it's it's from a very like the it, the reason I think it feels more fresh here is because it does feel like it's coming from a wiser, more um, hopeful is a word we used, um, you know, version of Miyazaki. His perspective on these issues are still he's still very passionate about them, but but less just just his hands aren't as tight. He feels a little bit more willing to give a little bit of grace to that people might one day get it or try to at least so yeah hopefully the next generation gets it <laughs> yeah you know the uh the witch in spirited away mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um that's like the the, the style and like her look is like the the aunt the, the aunties. Aunties. yeah yeah, yeah oh like yeah it's yeah. like the grotesque mm-hmm. looking older yeah. woman and, uh, that's like a thing and like when sure. you first see and them and bird, right? that was like spirited away when they're like all uh like they're like almost like creatures, like when they're looking at his bag or whatever. Yeah. And like, you don't think yeah, that they're yeah. like human at first. And then like, it reminded me of like spirited away. And then the, I guess the little spirit guys are called Wada Wada. And um, they reminded me of the Kodama, like, especially like in the first scene of them, which mm-hmm. are the guys in princess Mononoke. Yeah. Those mm-hmm. cute little tree spirits. Yeah. I love them. <laughs> well, uh, anything else we want to, so, we're almost out of time. Uh, I do want to really quickly hit on some stuff about the animation. We will not, we'll keep it very brief, but um, is there anything else you guys that was like a flag where you're like, I really have to, I must talk about this with other people, especially on a podcast, because there's just so many random things that like we mentioned the parakeets that I, it seems like it's totally lost on all of us. <laughs> what that was exactly. Yeah. Can we dissect? I'm going to go ahead and we're in spoilers now. So I'll go and say, can we dissect why we cast Dave Batista to be the, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you didn't like Dave Bautista? I didn't know who it was. That was oh, like... that's who I didn't. I, it took me out. I don't know. I, I, okay. I, I, I've come around to appreciating him doing more dramatic things, but there's a, there's just something about him and John Cena that just take me out of a lot of projects. Like, I just, I just, I don't know. I don't know. Like, um, like I think like the perfect hybrid, and maybe this is an unpopular choice, but I just feel like The Rock is like the perfect balance of like camp and like he's not quite Cheesiness he's cheesy and, but okay, I don't, but yeah. he's Accessible. cheesy but i accept it because yeah. he doesn't go too far over the edge i don't know but it as Dave vo- Batista is the best actor ter- wrestler actor though. come on <laughs> he's the only one i immediately knew exactly who it was when when they started talking i was like oh no that's funny he was like do you know that and i was like i was really wrecking i couldn't forget who it was okay oh, because oh, i knew david okay so i didn't i didn't know what the parakeet king was going to do who he was but i just saw in the credits prepping for this episode yeah. parakeet king dave Batista. so i leaned over to, Laura, uh, to harold and I said just wait until you hear who voices the parakeet because you see him before you hear him speak and i was like wait till you hear who voices him and he couldn't figure out who it was i knew exactly because I, I his voice is so that's who me. did I think it was? Oh, I thought it was Joaquin Phoenix. Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, well that, would, that would have been interesting. That would, that would have been interesting. <laughs> uh, Amber, why, uh, Dave, but, well, you, wait, you saw the um, subtitle. Never mind. I don't, yeah. Uh, I can't, can't relate. <laughs> can't relate. Oh, so this is why she does like, we are not the same. <laughs> and this is why you do subtitle versus dub, because this stuff happens. I, um, one thing I do want to talk about is um, closure in this movie and um, how that's dealt with and 
uh, you know, basically he goes back and then he he gets to see his mom as a young person and connect with her. And she is engulfed in fire, but the fire doesn't hurt her. And like, like I feel like that's very like closure for him. Like, I'm sure he was wondering, like, did she suffer and and all that? He he keeps having these nightmares, you know, like about her suffering. And so um, I just, I thought that was like really interesting how that was handled. And then like when she goes back to her time, um, she, you know, he's like, you're going to die in a fire. And like, she basically says, it's fine. Like fire doesn't bother me kind of a thing. And then also mm-hmm. the note that like, since she met him as a kid and she knew him like from childhood, she knew to give him that book, which is about yeah. ch- parental loss and how to deal with it. So mm-hmm. that That's a good is a great point. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. She like, arrives as a blaze of fire. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. It really is. I mean, that is the core relationship of the film. If you boil it down yeah. is he, he, well, he goes to rescue his stepmom, but at the same time, like the idea that she he could see his mom you. again is sort of yeah. the temptation, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah. Wow. That, yeah. Powerful symbolism too. I hadn't thought about that. She yeah, goes out, she true. dies in a blaze of fire. However, we also see her use in this other world is using it like wielding like a superpower, yeah. you know? Well, maybe that's one of his takeaways too, is just to be at peace that she's, that, that she's, that she's fine. She is well. And that now yeah. you can, you it can gives you permission, the, yeah. give you permission to, to heal essentially yeah. to heal. It's, it's almost like she went out on her own terms in that way too. When you think yeah. about it, cause she makes an active choice to go back to that door mm-hmm. you know? because she wants to like ha- meet him and have him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh man. What a great, what a great, mm-hmm. uh, takeaway. One other thing that came up and we, we don't, I don't necessarily want to belabor the point, but, uh, the idea is so funny. We were making a joke about how there's all these potentially infinite number of doors that we see in the hallway. Mm. And the idea we were laughing about, again, this movie has been in production since 2017, but it was just so funny that they, I sort of like very lo- low key, the idea that the multiverse is kind of a thing in yeah. this world. You know, mm. there's all these different realities you can hop in and out of through the door. They don't explore it. And I, I'm happy for it, but it was really interesting of like, you could, if you run this place, you could choose to live in any reality that you want. And yet yeah. mm-hmm. you choose to go back to your own, your own. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great stuff. Okay. Well, just to wrap us up here, I had a whole thing with 2d hand and drawn animation. All I want to ask from you guys is, uh, you know, what makes this so compelling 2d hand drawn animation? And, you know, we can talk very detailed spoilers here because listen, it's been just 10 years since we got the last Miyazaki film. That is an entire decade mm. of Minions movies, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Illumination. <laughs> and like, it's either Minions, everything, everybody, Disney, uh, DreamWorks, Pixar, they're all chasing a very similar look. I think Spider-Verse in 2018 <laughs> kind of gave big studios permission to innovate a little bit, but it's so refreshing to see someone who says, forget all that, forget your 3D animation. We're doing it hand-drawn. So I just want to talk a little bit about how this form specifically as they use it in this film sort of highlights and accentuates what makes hand-drawn compelling and and powerful in its own right, separate from, you know, popular 3d animation that we're so obsessed with uh, in the United States. Amber, any thoughts? Um, I mean, I think that this is, while it's kind of died in the U S hand-drawn animation is still um, in 2d style animation is still um, very strong in Japan. And I'm, I'm grateful for it. There's just something truly beautiful about it. Um, you know, especially like with the way Miyazaki and um, like Makoto Shinkai do their animation. It's like, you can see like 
that every cell has meaning, like every, you know, how much just thought goes into like every like background piece and they put so many things like you know how's moving castle like all (laughs) all the little things in the background is just like insane that like something like you might never see like (laughs) but like it goes by in one frame but like it has meaning um i think that's a lost art form um in some ways which is crazy because it's like in some ways it would be easier to do you would think with computer animation Mm -hmm. um but they I I think you had to think about things differently like you know when you look at like Disney and stuff like that in the early days like how they had to like make a a 3D sort of like doing multiple lenses and layers and they had to think about each layer of that background so it's like okay what am I putting into each layer of that background to make it look like depth and and things like that and like you know maybe with the 3D technology and the computer technology you kind of lose that thought process of having to think it all through Um, I don't know I'm not an animator it's something I, I wish I had done like it's truly like i love animation and it's a passion of mine i backed a uh indiegogo back in 2013 called hullabaloo uh it's a steampunk two-day animated um series i guess and it was supposed to come out in 2015 and then they actually just came out with the first episode on youtube like a couple weeks ago uh (laughs) it's a short episode it's but their whole goal and they have like a lot of animators from like you know, famous animators and stuff like that is to bring back 2D animation, but it just shows how hard it is. Like they had a goal of 80,000 and I think they raised like over to like a lot of money. It was like over 200,000 over $470,000 back in 2013. And they still hadn't come out with the first one until now. And I think it was only like 10 or 15 minutes long. So (laughs) I think that's something you highlight there that's important. And I, I, I'm sure this is probably the reason in the U.S. they've gone so hard for 3D over 2D animation, which is 2D animation sounds like it's pretty painstaking work. Yeah. And in order to get to the, the level of detail that you want, I mean, how, what, how, let me pull up. The, it was what, like almost 60 animators who worked on this film. Yeah, when 60 animators in 2017. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a long, that's long a time. A lot of people in a long time. Yeah. And, and 3D just affords probably certain flexibility. Sure. Yeah. Um, but to your point, Amber, I, I personally find, not always, I think 3D animation has its own strengths that are separate, mm-hmm. but sure. the sort of expression that yeah. you mm-hmm. get from 2D, like you said, everything has to be thought through very intentionally. And the expressions we get from a 2D uh, animated film and have just so much more impact on me in terms of the icon- uh, iconography and the symbolism. Great example. Here's an example I'll use. Lion King. The original okay. an, uh, the exact animated example, film. The example I was going to use, yes. Really, really, but go ahead. Because, well, because you get the animals, the expressions, the personalities, all mm-hmm. of it's on the face versus the 3D one where it's, yeah, these are air quotes, realistic 3D animated animals. Yeah. But, but they're so non-expressive. Mm-hmm. They're so yeah. flat. Mm-hmm. You can't feel. You're, no you're not invited. Yeah, there's no. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, there's a lot of things I could add to it. I also think the, the thing that I love about it, too, is I, I truthfully believe that you could take any frame of this movie. And blow it up like a poster, and it would look yeah. awesome. Mm-hmm. I do not think that. Again, three. There are a lot of really stellar, beautiful three D animated movies. Spider Verse, Across the Spider Verse, being one of them that came out this year. But I don't think I could pick any frame in that movie, and it would look all oh, star stuck. You know, just right. starstruck in the way that you would with this film mm-hmm. uh, yeah. specifically. I don't know, uh, Harold. Anything you want to add? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think some of it, also, uh, honestly, is like a numbers game too. How much budget? thinking a lot and you know if, thinking on like the business side of it or like the the money side of it it's like people are probably thinking the juice isn't worth the squeeze kind of a thing now 
But I think the hand-drawn element is just like something that is so reminiscent of a time and like portion of our lives that makes makes us think of like growing up. And so I think that's why it has such a pull on us is that it's so like nostalgic mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, puts us in a certain time. And I think there's always going to have that appeal, especially for our generation. But I'm interested in like, you know, my nephew's 17. I'm like, what's it going to be? What's going to be his thing that is like YouTube? The thing that makes him think about when he was growing up, you know, is it gonna, right. it's not going to be the same thing as what it is for Just me. I lock think. him in a room and make him watch yeah. 2D. <laughs> you can't watch anything but Hanna Barrera. <laughs> Lots of YouTube and TikTok and hopefully Bluey. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> maybe Bluey. Uh, Laurent, anything else you want to add about the conversation about the power of uh, 2D animation? Yeah, I, I feel like 2D animation in many ways is like what we, I would liken it to um, like practical effects in films like where we used to do it that way and the films were better for it and then we found a way to streamline it you know in such a way and then it kind of just homogenized everything so there's not there's that's why we long for those you know that when it took ingenuity and it took creativity and it took that personal touch because a painting is so much more personal than going into a computer and and digitally putting a tree there when you had to like do the brush strokes and and make give the the faces a little bit of quirkiness or per- personality that came from a creative mind and again it's not to remove and say there's no creativity in in digital animation it just feels like there's a lot more of yeah there's a lot more of that individual animator's personality coming through than than what is maybe available as tools in a computer you know so um, yeah, so I think, like you said, there's just a great depth and richness to it. Like you said, if you just stopped frame, you know, just took a still of each thing, there's so much happening in the frame. You know what I mean? Like so much, so many, so many details. Um, it's very meticulous. So, um, I'm definitely a fan of it, but I, I do hope that there's value in still doing it. Cause I do feel like some people treat 3d animation as like, oh, we've outgrown, 2D animation. This is now what animation is. Mm-hmm. But I love that these other films, like like um, like you said, Spider the, the Spider Verse films and and even the Turtles Mayhem film this this year, are understanding that there's value in all of these styles. We can utilize them in different ways. We don't have to just do one thing. So I, I hope my hope is uh, you know in, in video gaming we saw this big change uh, in the so. so uh, the super, the Sega Genesis and Super Nintendo era. Mm-hmm. We get jump to the next gen. Air quotes the Nintendo sixty four and the PlayStation, and everything went full three D. Everything was Super Mario sixty four. Oh, you can explore all these elaborate worlds. You have all these uh, polygons and sprite based uh, games were gone. But we've seen in gaming it come back around where actually the nostalgia is the charm and, mm. and it actually allows for artists to be more creative yeah. Um, yeah. because they can lean into the two different art directions. That's another thing we haven't mentioned here with hand-drawn. There's, it just seems like there's more yeah. ways to visualize something for, for straight from the imagination. And I'm kind of hoping we get a little bit of that. And, and frankly, Amber, I'm glad you mentioned this earlier, that Japan still being as all in on 2D animation as it is, brings tremendous joy and comfort to my heart and hope that, you know, it'll probably look a little different when it comes back or if, when it comes back around, but that it is going to come back around. Yeah. You know? yeah. Well, I mean, um, I, we were talking about song of the sea and the, those films, I think they're hand animated and, yeah. and they were yeah. inspired yeah. by yeah. Ghibli. So that's interesting. 
Yeah, wind talkers. We talked about that earlier. Mm-hmm. Like, there's yeah. another version of that, but so th- it's it's still out there. A little bit of time left, but we are at time. Uh, we do need to get going. Uh, had a whole other section about animation, but uh, <laughs> and, and AI and all that. But you know, we'll save that for another day, everybody. No, no, no. This has been a great conversation. Uh, well, uh, for our listeners, uh, I just want to say thank you to each one of our guests, Amber Harold, uh, and then of course co-host Laurent, as always. Uh, Amber, where can people keep up with you and all the cool things you're doing, uh, both for yourself and also SoonerCon? Uh, mostly just SoonerCon. <laughs> I'm kind of like locked down on the socials. Uh, but I'd love for you guys to come out to SoonerCon. We're in Norman at the Embassy Suites, June 21st through the 23rd. And uh, it's just super fun. Three days of pop culture, um, cosplay, gaming, you name it. Um, I'm sure that you got, you'll you be there, Caleb, on a panel or two. Absolutely. <laughs> and uh, so we're at SoonerCon.com. And you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. I refuse to call it X at SoonerCon. <laughs> um, it's S O O N E R C O N. Awesome. And uh, listeners, especially for, um, from Oklahoma, but anywhere here in the Southwest, actually, have been going to SoonerCon for several years now. Super fun just to see so many different parts of sort of like the nerddom community in Oklahoma come together to celebrate the things we all love Star Wars, fantasy, anime, video games. They got it all. Uh, they got a huge room with this video game tournaments. Anyway, I just have to say, Huge crush on SoonerCon, super fun. Always enjoy. Uh, usually I make an appearance on a panel or two there, but uh, even if you're not on a panel, you should super come and hang out. It's a great time. Harold Story? Uh, yeah, man. Um, I work on a bunch of different things, but I kind of run everything through my main social. It's just my Instagram, uh, Harold Story. So, All right. S-T-O-R-E-Y. Check it out. And even you dabble with some design stuff here and there. Yeah, yeah. There. I'll, uh, I'll mostly share everything to that page, though, just so it's all in one kind of in one place, but... Toons Toons is still kind of out there on the uh, in the ether. If you guys want to check out episodes of that, I just haven't done any new ones. <laughs> yeah, but, but your old ones are pretty good. You interview a lot of uh, yeah. big animators yeah. from the 90s. Yeah, it was so cool. check it out. LeBron Chapman, how about you? Uh, you can follow all of my film reviews on Letterboxd at the handle black underscore cinema underscore man. And then if you just care to see my updates on uh, all the programming that we're doing for Dead Center this summer, um, then you can follow me under my name um, on Facebook. Awesome. And uh, listeners, of course, you can find me on all the handles. Uh, that's uh, Threads, Twitter slash X, Instagram, and Letterboxd. That's C Masters Talk. That's Letter C Masters Talk. And you can find all of the podcasts and work we're doing here over at the cinematropolis.com. Thank you so much for joining us, everyone. We'll catch you again next time when we deliver our final review of 2023 and our review of. The Iron Claw. That's right. We're ending with a SmackDown. Uh, That review is going to be coming next. Instead of doing every two weeks, that review is actually coming next Wednesday, which is December 20th. Until next time. 